everybody, and welcome to Nerd, Nerd Alert. Girls. All right. Hello, everybody. I am your host, Bridget. I'm Jen. How's it going, everybody? I'm Caroline, a.k.a. Sorcerer Supreme. All right. We really should come up with nicknames for me and Jen. <laughs> that's, yeah. Okay. I thought Jen was Jenpool. Jen, oh, that's ooh, that's I really am Jenpool. Awesome. <laughs> okay, of course, it's me who doesn't have a nickname. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Jen, if you want to change up your nickname, like, you know, feel feel free. You're always welcome. But I like, I think Jenpool is a lot of fun. Yeah, her time is that coming. I am Deadpool for Jenpool. Yeah. Let's go. We got Jennifer Gardner there. Let's do this. Uh, all right well we will talk offline more about nicknames because <laughs> that's an important <laughs> okay. discussion but, yeah we gotta yes. get bridget one of these yeah <laughs> we'll work on it we'll work on it um yeah so today we're here to discuss echo uh the mini series that is the first of marvel's spotlight series um i think that's what they're calling it right um yes. so this this yeah. show is um a spinoff of maya lopez uh aka echo from hawkeye and um yeah, I think uh, I, I mean we've been we were pretty excited about um, Echo and like it was fun talking about the trailer and thinking about hypothesizing what was going to happen and and now we're here to actually discuss it um, the series as a whole. So yeah, um, well first of all, actually before we get into like the review review part, I wanted to give a little bit of background um, behind, uh, about the creators for this um, series because I think they really deserve a shout out because um, I think Echo was great and I liked a lot of things about it um, but I wanted to shout out the director and the writers um, especially because I just think their background will provide some interesting context for this series before we get into it um, so first the director for this series for Echo uh, is Sydney Freeland who is a trans woman Navajo filmmaker uh, she wrote and directed the short film Hoverboard in 2012 and the film Drugtown's Finest in 2014 um, this garnered numerous acclaims at the premiere at Sundance Film Festival. Her second film, uh, Deirdre and Lainey Rob a Train, which is a great title, uh, debuted at Sundance and was released on Netflix in 2017. So I don't know if it's still on there. I should check. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a little bit of back of uh, Sydney's background. So it's great that they have like a, you know, first of all, like a native, you know, director, Native American director. Um, and yeah, and it was just really cool um, to learn about the, the work that she was doing. Drunktown's Drunk Finest is also kind of a very um is very rooted in you know native american stories and um so i thought that was cool to point out as well but um yeah and then the uh the main writers for the series uh marion dare um marion dare worked on better call saul and the act so uh jen i'm sure you uh <laughs> you were a big fan of here when you heard better call saul um and then amy reardon who has worked on charmed uh before this has worked on charmed jane the virgin and selfie no i no one else will know that title except for me but i loved selfie <laughs> um very different vibe from this series but yeah um so and as far as i can tell these two the two writers are are white women but um yeah but that's a little bit about their background so i just wanted to point that out because i thought it was interesting like the kind of stuff they'd worked on before this series yeah, that's neat. Thank you for doing the research on that. Yeah, I like nerding out about that stuff. <laughs> um, and I'm curious, Jen, if like you got like Better Call Saul vibes from from this series. I totally did. Like something about the grittiness of it was definitely very, very familiar, you know. 
and even some of the camera angles, if I'm going to be honest, when they go from past to present, because uh, Better Call Saul tends to do that too, where, you know, they delve into the past a little and definitely change the camera frame. So definitely some uh, some overlap there. I was really excited. Yeah, once you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, I think, you know, someone who's worked on Better Call Saul, that's a great kind of background to have for something like this. And I definitely think um, you can see some of that that influence there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I haven't seen Better Call Saul myself, but like I know it as like a gritty series. And so I thought like, oh, that kind of that fits. <laughs> So that, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so so that's a little bit about uh, the the people who work behind the scenes. And like, just, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, like Marvel Studios did work alongside Choctaw Nation and Illuminative, um, which is an organization, um, just to make sure, you know, to try to tell the story ethically. And, you know, you can, we could talk about how successful it was or wasn't, I guess. But like, um, as you know, they did, they tried to do their due diligence as far as I can see with um, actually collaborating with, you know, Native, like, Native Americans whose story was being told, whose culture was being explored. Um, so yeah, shout out to that as well. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, now that I now that I've given my little spiel about the creatives, <laughs> shout out to them. Yeah, I just wanted I was curious about your guys's overall thoughts, reactions, and feelings um about this series. Yeah. Um, it. Yeah, I I thought it was really well done. Um I want to say I I think the five episode run is a good runtime. You know, I think like the problem we've and we've been having with some of these like Disney Plus series is that a lot of them feel like they're too long to be. They're either a full like a movie that's been stretched out or like a longer TV show that's been chopped down. So it's like there's too much going on for like a very short runtime. But this one to me felt like you know, it set out to tell one story and it told one story within, you know, obviously there are subplots, but it's like everything comes back to Maya and it didn't feel like any of the other characters were like, you know, this character is going to get their own spinoff, except for like, you know, I'm sure Kingpin will be showing up in other people's stuff, but it's like, he's already established. So you don't need to do that. So like, I, I really appreciate it. It's like, it felt like the right format for the story they were telling. So um, I know that's like a real specific thing and we were doing overall plots, but like overall I liked it. And I think part of that was, I think the the pacing was a lot more solid than it's been for a lot of these other shows. I was a little uh, concerned that it was only five episodes. I was like, okay, try not to get bitter, try not to get jaded. Maybe that's all it needs. And sure enough, it did what it needed to do and it did it well. Seriously, the action the dialogue and the care that this show took to properly represent Native American culture was brilliant. And I cannot wait to see Maya Lopez and other stuff, what, whatever that may be. I'm not sure where they're going to take her now, but I cannot wait to see more of her. Yeah, I was, uh, so I, just before we were started recording, I was rewatching, um, the parts where Echo appears in Hawkeye, um, just especially because I wanted to refresh my memory. In retrospect, I should have rewatched it before I watched the Echo series. Like, I don't think you have to, but like, um, there was things that I remember rewatching. I was like, oh yeah, like elements of like her character and like relationship with you know her dad and Kingpin and, and that guy Kazi. I don't know if you remember him. Um, and like, um, really relishing her first um appearance. Like, I still remember 
um when we were reviewing hawkeye and we were and we were the first two episodes we were kind of like man i don't know about this and then she showed up at the end we're like whoa wait a minute someone who has presence an antagonist with presence <laughs> and we were so excited <laughs> and i remember that yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like I feel like this show makes it even more like ah yes that excitement was justified like she lived up to the hype the the red lighting and the like you know really stern look and like the braid and just like the stare down with the tracksuit mafia guy it was perfect everything the stars aligned to create this character on screen and I just um shout out to Lock. Uh, Alakwa Cox because she did amazing um but yeah I like I think the cast was really solid and I loved the different characters like I mean <laughs> her cousin uh Biscuits I would die for him and like <laughs> and and Bonnie and like you know and like just yeah I just I loved I loved the whole ensemble I liked getting to know her family and you know, getting to know her ancestors and everything. Um, I think I thought that was all really cool. And, you know, I was excited to see, like, you know, as we were, like, they were unfolding with the whole ancestral line and, like, um, you know, the the story with, with the first Shakta woman and, like, you know, how she descends from that. And, like, um, you know, especially with, like, the whole matrilineal element and, like, the, you know, women-focused kind of aspect of her story um you know because I was nervous about a couple of different things with the series um both in terms of like oh they're releasing all at once what does that mean they haven't done that before you know um but I think that was like releasing all at once made perfect sense because I think um the story could have felt like it was dragging too much if it was sped out on a week by week basis it, it is the kind of show I think you need to binge watch and it it totally makes sense um and like the second thing I was concerned about was like um you know, they were like, they said that they were chaining her powers and everything because before she was kind of like the taskmaster in terms of being able to mimic other people's powers uh, or like moves. Um, and like, we were being like, oh, that's kind of lame. We're going to give her something else. I'm like, okay, what what will that be? <laughs> you know, um, I wasn't super beholden to like her version in the comics or anything, but like, I was just like, okay, you know, what are you just going to make her OP or what? Like, I was really afraid of something like with a, uh, you know, like that happens at the end of Secret Invasion, you know, <laughs> something <laughs> like, but, but no, like the, 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 you know, the connection to the, like her ancestors and like that, like it, it's like her, and like the meaning of her name as Echo, like actually meaning so much more um, because of like how they delve into like her family history and like that there are really strong ties to her native roots um, with, you know, her her glowing hand powers with the glowing rings um, in her hands and like, just like why that exists and why, like there's like meaning to it. It's not just like giving her power for power's sake and like, oh, she's cooler now, like check it out. You know, like they're, they just like, the story was so rich in um, in her culture and in her family. And I just really love seeing that. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you bring up a really good point about how like part of it, um, yeah, we were, you know, we talked in the trailer reaction about like, the concern of like okay why are they doing this all at once but like I think it goes back to you know what I was saying about the pacing is that like five episodes is a good amount of time for this like a focus series and also like because they're doing it all at once like it works as something you can kind of sit down and binge and so you get that slow burn whereas yeah I think if it had come out you know over the course of several weeks it might have 
I think it might have felt like it dragged a little bit more, but because, you know, yeah, I watched it over the course of like two evenings um, and that was kind of perfect. So yeah, I, I appreciated that. I also, I think like, you know, if, if anyone ever gets like mimicking other people's powers or having other people's powers, like that just seems like it doesn't work very well in this universe. You know, we had like two characters who do that, like Taskmaster and Gaia from Secret Invasion. And it always seems like it's kind of a dud. So I don't know, maybe that's why they changed it with Echo um, so that she's not, you know, kind of mimicking those. But like, I do like the idea of it being ancestral. And like, I think it's interesting because again, in that trailer reaction, you talked about the story where she gets like the Phoenix force. You right, know, was, yeah, yeah thinking and like wow that seems kind of out of nowhere to have it be so sort of cosmic but it's like I I like how in this one it's like it is tied to her ancestors and her family and like this is so focused on her family so it's like I mean I'm not saying it's out of nowhere in that comic I'm just like the the, the bullet point version of you know Echo plus Phoenix Force I'm like wow with the two versions of this I know that sounds like an odd combination but now like seeing this I'm like oh I can totally see how that would work like yeah and like okay so yeah the series that i like that caroline mentioned for anyone who doesn't know this refers to rebecca Rowanhorse's take on echo it was like a it was also a limited series uh in the comics um actually now they think about it and like smiler spoiler alert but like she goes back in time and meets like her ancestors through her matrilineal line like she does in the mcu series um and like she discovers that um you know you know generations generations back um, one of her ancestors, she had the Phoenix Force too, and had you know, and taught basically taught uh, Maya how to not exactly not master it. That wasn't the point. It was like you know, but actually work in tandem with it, embrace it. Um, was kind of like the the theme of that uh, of their interaction. And so, um, just it you know, it played. It, I saw the parallels um, with with this um because it's not the phoenix force obviously and it wouldn't have it would not have fit at all for this series for them to do that um but i think the way they did they did do it um was really awesome and like yeah i i don't know i just think it's so interesting that it's it's also through like again her like matrilineal line you know not through her father's side through her mother's side and it's all the women you know behind her um i think was just really cool as well yeah yeah, I um I really like that that aspect and sort of like the the different views we get of the different ancestors and the context that they're in um throughout, you know, different points in history. So yeah, I, I thought that was really neat. I also thought, you know, one of my sort of overall notes is like I like the fact that this is something that sort of bridges like urban and more rural spaces, because like one of the things, you know, I've heard, like when I hear an indigenous people sort of talk about representation, they mention the fact that it's like, you never portray indigenous people in cities. And people are like, hey, you know, we live in cities. Like we don't all just live out in rural spaces. Um, so it's like the fact that this is sort of set in both, like, you know, that kind of in the, you know, in the countryside and, you know, like in, you know, uh, their specific territory, but also Maya, you know, a lot of Maya's life takes place in New York City um you know shows that it's like you know indigenous experiences there are a lot of different ones and they span um you know different environments so you know i thought that that was kind of neat yeah it's a good point i, I hadn't thought of realize. that yeah yeah i hadn't considered that either wow nice yeah yeah um and i think the other like 
thing that really worked for me was just like the tension with her relation relationship with Kingpin, which we can dive into more uh, later, obviously. But like, you know, I, I really liked how they explored the whole like you and I were family, we're the same and like seeing like how they're they are similar and how they're different. And, you know, um, and just like how like she has really complicated feelings toward him and like doesn't totally know what to do with them you know and processing how she feels toward him and like you know him who's like you know you know her adoptive uncle and like how to think of like her um blood relatives especially like relatives who had you know abandoned her or just like cut her off or reached out but she cut them off and like you know there's like all these like tensions with family you know that yeah. I thought were really compelling yeah yeah and then like also you know, I was thinking in terms of kind of one of the things about the kingpin relationship, um, you know, is that there's this interesting, I think, parallel to, and and you know, a really really dark and terrible aspect of like uh, indigenous cultural genocide in this country is involved, like indigenous children being you know taken in by white families mm -hmm. and assimilated, mm -hmm. um, and you know, with kingpin, it's kind of the situation where he you know he's responsible for the death of her father and that's something that a lot of like white you know settlers would sometimes like take indigenous children whose families like they had killed um you know during kind of westward expansion and um you know i'm not saying that that's like a one-for-one -one parallel to what kingpin is doing but it's like i think there are probably there are a lot of indigenous people out there you know and in the past who've kind of had to navigate that sort of relationship with like white adoptive family and the extent to which like how much of it is just a product of colonization and how much of it is like a personal relationship because like Maya does have these complicated feelings for Kingpin and also you know we do like you know Kingpin's not specifically trying to like assimilate her and take her away from her culture but it's like that is the upshot of what he's doing by assimilating her yeah. into his family it's like he's taking her away from her biological family and away from her culture, but he also does seem to care about her. And so, you know, that like that complexity and that nuance is something that I kind of, I think is really interesting in terms of like uh, re how to read their relationship or like an angle I was thinking about with their relationship. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other like big thoughts I had about this series. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, just, yeah, just, like, overall, I was, I, I really had, I was gonna say had fun with it, but this was such a serious and dark and gritty story a lot of the time, um, but there, I mean, there were moments of humor and stuff, like, there's a moment where she has, like, a really great Fuji face, and, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'll get it to, well, I'll talk about that when that moment comes, but, like, you know, like, again, her acting is, like, just phenomenal, but, um, yeah, I think I want to, in short, like, I want to know more about her, and it's, like, really gratifying to be able to get even, like, this piece of her story, and in a way, weirdly, it, like, it makes me think of um, the Ghost Rider spinoff that never came to be from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and, like, how I really want to know more about Robbie Reyes and his deal, and, like, his family, and his brother, and everything, and there was going to be a show, and there wasn't going to be, and, like, I, I still feel that loss sometimes when I think about it. Oh. Like, oh, man, that would have been great, you know? Oh, um, 
Yeah. That's too bad because it's like he would fit into so much stuff that's going on right now. It's like you could see him, you know, Mm -hmm. again, I keep going on about like that Midnight Suns movie slash like horror theme team up. Like, you know, he would totally fit in with a team with like, again, like Blade and Werewolf by Night and Arthur Dane um and or wait i think his name dane whitman sorry arthur dane's from game of the character in game of thrones um but uh like you see where i got confused he's played by kid harrington um (laughs) but like he would totally fit in that team up but you know you can also see him in some more like street level um you know something with like maybe daredevil and echo and like those characters and like something that's more crime focused like yeah man i i miss i miss robbie yeah um yeah I like and I guess that partly is the the reason I thought of him was because I felt like he um is also kind of like from more of a grittier world um just like she is and and like the whole yeah like what you do for like family and like what you do for yourself and like what you do for like your your sense of justice I don't know there's I don't know I, it's been a while since I've really thought about that character so I don't it, I don't have everything off you know off the top of my head to be able to make a direct comparison but like you know um it was just something I was thinking about and like something that like I wish we had gotten it but like I'm glad that we got this story and like about this character um I really I really did like Maya I I was I was rooting her for her I was rooting for her even in like Hawkeye um yeah yeah so it was just yeah I like I like getting more of a story and totally would be down for more honestly I want more of this character so much like the very biased part of me was like oh this was too short oh my gosh we need more but then like objectively I'm like okay chill you got what you needed and then some calm down so I can't wait to see what they do with this character yeah yeah and like I think um I think we're not the only ones who enjoyed ourselves you know I mean uh, I I went after the the show had finished or I, I had finished the show, um, I was, like, digging around for, like, news about Echo, and, like, I came across, um, info from CBR.com, um, and, like, um, according to a report from Deadline, they were saying how Echo debuted in the number one spot on both of Disney's streaming platforms, like, Disney and Hulu, and I was like, yes, and I immediately sent it to you, too. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember, and I was like, you yeah. I did like a little weird happy dance not gonna lie I was just like yes 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 yeah, oh, yeah. I wish we had that on uh like footage of that that would be <laughs> I'm sure it was I'm sure it was delightful uh it was so... derpy and delightful <laughs> and it is worthy of such amazing news and like I remember Jen you were like oh yeah that's so fitting that you sent that right now because I just finished it I'm like girl I just finished it same brain <laughs> yeah that was so weird like I kid you not like maybe minutes before you had sent that like something like that I was just like oh yeah so the stars aligned there yeah oh man um there's a reason I call you my twin that's all I'll say so yeah um and it was like I don't know it was just really it was nice to see that news especially in like the wake of our Marvel's dead long live Marvel podcast that we like just did and I kind of want to do it like a already do a follow-up <laughs> in light of like the news about Echo, especially because too, because I saw another article that was talking about like, you know, that was saying, uh, I think this was also on CBR, um, that said like per Rotten Tomatoes, Echo is the second worst rated 
MCU Disney Plus TV show of all time following a January premiere, currently boasting a 73% critical rating. And it's like, it's still certified fresh and still like you have to frame it as like the second worst rated MCU Disney Plus show. Like that's like, that's, that's so, that's, that's so intentional. Like, you know, you know, there was thought put into framing it that way. Um, and like, mm. you know, and like that only secret in, in pointing out how secret invasion is the only one that has a lower score than Echo. And I'm like, okay, just, oh, no, just perspective, no, no. perspective here. I never want to see Echo and secret invasion in the same sentence. I don't ever again. Especially, um, yeah. Yeah. Echo but mentioning it now is making me sick to my stomach. Not gonna <laughs> lie. I'm just like, oh, I knew but, it needed to be mentioned because yeah. of this totally untrue rating and such. But still, I was just like, oh, come on, folks. Yeah. Watch like, the show. I'm sorry. I'm calling foul on that one. You know, because <laughs> like with Secret Invasion, like, you know, at no point did I ever have I ever said that, like, people don't like Secret Invasion, like, because it has a black lead, because I'm like, look, we all can tell Secret Invasion is bad. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not that like I, I'm going to like, I'm not going to say it's racism because we can all say it's like it's it's we can all see it's bad but garbage is garbage one you know with this one i'm just like okay that something about that i like i smell a rat you know in terms of how good this show is and also it's like how crazy like people went for daredevil you know when it debuted back in like 2015 um you know so that's an example of like when that showed up the mcu had been for a while you know a lot more like PG-13, you know, this was a more like grounded, gritty take and people ate it up. And like, now we're in a situation where like the MCU has gone very like cosmic, everything's in space, everything's getting real weird. And like, this is, I mean, you know, it does have like fantasy elements, but it's a more grounded take. And like, I also, you know, there is some nuance to that conversation because these are both about dis- like characters with different disabilities. Um, but I'm just like, I I think there's something weird about that, especially in light of like how big the ratings are for this, because I'm like, okay, look, it would be one thing if this were like, a, I don't know, maybe a goofier, funner, dumber show. And like, there was a disconnect between critics and audiences because of that. Like, sometimes I'm like, look, this is just fun. Maybe you guys are overthinking it. But I'm just like, okay, the fact that it's in this genre, and it's dealing with this subject matter, and it's getting bad reviews, I'm just like, I something feel this feels real off like this feels like you know and again I'm not I'm not just blaming the fact that like most critics are white guys like that's definitely a problem but I think that there's a, another problem in that like a lot of the people who are working in media criticism now are not people who are like I don't know I'm, I'm gonna sound very snooty but like people who are serious cinephiles or steeped in like film tradition like I think there are a lot of fanboys that are writing for these big, um, you know, these big magazines and these online spaces. And like, part of it is because, you know, if the landscape is so dominated by comic book movies and stuff like that, it's like, they don't want to put someone on there who's just going to hate on them. Um, Mm -hmm. But also it's like, they want, there's, you know, they're calling up people who are like, again, longtime fans. Cause like, again, I get it. If, you know, if I'm running a, you know, say I'm running a clickbaity website and I'm like, okay, who's going to cover the superhero film? Is it like the guy who, you know, wrote a pit, like wrote his, I don't know, master's thesis on like French New Wave and has no idea who Ant-Man is? Or okay. is it the guy who like knows about this stuff and likes this stuff and can maybe give context, you know? But the problem with that is that like, 
with that kind of quote unquote context, sometimes it's context and sometimes it's just bias. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's like someone who is, you know, I've been a big fan of certain comic book characters and now they're frustrated that like, that's not the aesthetic and the focus of this comic book franchise. Like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry <laughs> no, to go on my critics, but like, I'm sorry, just something about this whole situation that just feels really, really off to me. Well, you know, I, I, I was the one who brought it up, excuse me, I, I was the one who brought it up because, I mean, just because we were just thinking about this in the context of Marvel and the stories that they've been telling more recently. And, you know, I just, um, yeah, I feel like it's, it's worth, you know, pointing out the context in which we're living in with like critics and audiences and everything. At the end of the day, though, I, I just want to, ended by saying or ended by saying like you know I it was just really gratifying to to hear how highly Echo as a series performed you know I mean showing up as number one on two different platforms and granted both owned by Disney but like I'm just like that's crazy that's awesome you know and like I just I just am basking in the glory of that (laughs) like people even if they're not like super vocal and granted I haven't like looked too much on the internet to see what people are saying like on Twitter or whatever for this particular show but like as like I I can really feel like the like the silent um audience participation in just like that one bit of news you know what I mean like whatever people are saying people are watching yeah yeah absolutely and like you know that gets back to some of what we talked about how like there's a difference between what people you know enjoy and watch in the real world versus like what necessarily gets buzz and like I don't know maybe the show is getting buzz again I'm kind of staying away from online chatter about it um but it's also I think the idea of putting it on Hulu too is cool and also this whole Marvel Spotlight series like which sounds it sounds like the focus is to be more self-contained and like further away from like the big you know multiverse saga stuff and I'm like you know what maybe this is Disney like uh, listening to what we said you know when we (laughs) talked about you know what we'd like more from the MCU and like how there's this problem of being you know barrier to entry um and hopefully, you know, maybe the sort of the marketing around Echo was like, hey, this is its own little kind of self-contained story. Um, you know, we're going to do a little bit of recapping of what was in Hawkeye. But like, honestly, I don't think you need to watch Hawkeye to still get her. No. Daredevil. No, no, definitely. And, you know, I, I think that we get enough. If you've seen either one of those, I think you're good. Or if you haven't seen either, I think you could probably still, you know, enjoy this series. So, you know, hopefully. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully it's like they've been smart about it and they've caught um, a, a different audience, you know, and and maybe people who were frustrated and people who were kind of burnt out on the continuity, you know, hopefully, you know, this is the kind of thing that we're going to get more of where it can just be kind of be on its own. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like it's like you said, Caroline. You didn't need to watch Hawkeye or Daredevil to get this. You just, all you know, they gave us enough in the first episode where you saw like, okay, she's pissed. Someone killed her dad. She confronted the guy who killed her dad. It turned out to be this guy she trusts. And even if you don't know Daredevil, all you know is guy in red suit is fighting. It is badass. We're fine. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like totally yeah like you don't know it need to know who daredevil is for that little scene because it's just like yeah it's a pretty you know it's some dude who's clearly some kind of vigilante in a cool outfit he does cool fight stuff he goes away like you know i, I literally think, all you need yeah 
Yeah. I guess I'm curious in terms of Daredevil's cameo, like how do you guys, do you guys feel like, you know, there's an issue in terms of like the tone of the different projects he's in? Like, do you think it's like too jarring for him to go from like, you know, something like She-Hulk to this or for Echo to go from, you know, Hawkeye, which is for the most part, like a more lighthearted series than, than this? Or do you think it's like they've done a good job at getting it all to kind of flow together? Because like, I actually support was kind of surprised by how much I'm like yeah I don't mind that they're all in such different universes well I'll just speak for like uh Echo and Maya and the transition from Hawkeye to here she shoots Kingpin in the face at the end of Hawkeye as lighthearted of a series as it is so like I had no (laughs) (laughs) there was no confusion about who she was as a person and what kind of story she would be spearheading for me yeah Um, I feel like uh Jen could speak better to um matt and just like his different appearances uh, than i could uh yeah i like to think so i've read a bunch of his comics enough to know and he's guest starred in a lot of comics too like even though like on a solo series he's very nitty-gritty serious it's dark you know but he has been in other light-hearted character stories like seriously him and spidey have like the best banter him and deadpool are like the weirdest frenemies ever he's been in she hulk multiple times so matt murdoch as nitty-gritty as he is as the protector he is of hell's kitchen he might be like breaking bones and busting kneecaps but he is ready with a joke and he is somewhat soft and kind of hilarious so the fact that we've seen this actor this character in uh slightly different iterations you know from his own series to um she hulk wasn't that all that confusing or off-putting for me it's just it's very much in his character because no matter where he is where he's in a fourth wall breaking kind of show or a brief cameo in a girl's hunt for avenger whatever he's still who he is you know this uh smart badass uh guy with like a lot of clever witticisms you know so honestly love seeing him here a part of me kind of wanted to see more but i'm not sure where they would have put him yeah yeah i i agree i was kind of surprised because like um recently i rewatched uh no way home and you know his little scene in that is mostly kind of a funny one where you know he gives a little bit of like you know exposition but then also like you know he catches the brick and they're like how did you do that he's like i'm a really good lawyer um seriously that scene is matt murdoch in a nutshell you know just ignore all the bloody scenes in his show but that's his character in a nutshell right there in that scene yeah like i remember um you know watching like watching that in the theater and like people you know they got a laugh and i remember like you know even people who didn't know daredevil that well were like oh who's that character he seems cool um and you know similar thing in in she hulk where it's like that's such a different tone wise, but I think like Matt is able to be a consistent character in that because like, he's still, you know, fighting in kind of the same style. Um, but it's also like his lawyer persona is consistent. So yeah, I was kind of amazed by how like he can just sort of like blend into these different environments. Um, and then I think Bridget, you make a, a very good point about Maya, how Maya sort of like grabs the tone by the collar and like pulls it to where she is, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Her power is unnatural. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
this is random, but I'm gonna say my one daredevil thing, and and then we I'll, I'll bounce out of talking about this. But <laughs> it was a random tweet I came across um, about like Matt Murdock as a character, um, and I just think it's so funny, and I want to take the opportunity to say it. Um, so when I was in ninth grade, I came out as a lesbian, and then in tenth grade, I watched Daredevil and came out as bisexual again. And it took me a whole year to realize I I am actually a lesbian, and it was just this one man throwing me off. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh just wanted to shout out that tweet because that oh. was just that kicked, that just cracked me up, man. <laughs> Honestly, there's just that one character, that one actor who just has this power over all the sexualities. Daredevil, <laughs> Charlie Cox, he is one of them. Yeah. Shout out to him. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um I don't think we have anything else to add about his appearance, right? Nope, can't wait for his own spinoff series again, too. Yeah. But right now, we're going to focus on Maya. She is awesome. Seriously, like, her presence is amazing. Shout out to the actress for being such a badass. And shout out to the writer's crew for getting this character right, for, like, giving more to her character and just keeping us interested and giving her a dynamic and three-dimensional core. I, I love her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good point about, um, you know, the the actress and the way she just like kind of, you know, commands the screen. Um, and also like I think one of the one of the really interesting things is you know because she's speaking, you know, in sign language, it's like I think she forces us to really like look at her face, you know. Um, and so like so much of the burden is on her facial acting. Um, and like, you know, I think all actors, if you are on screen, you should be fa doing facial acting. Um, I mean, unless, you know, the whole point of your character is that they have a poker face all the time. Um, but, uh, like for her, it's like facial acting, you know, there's so much focus on her face. So it's like the fact that she has this really amazing, like expressive face, um, as, is kind of, yeah, I, I just, I, I think she, it's a really commanding performance and, I think it's it's so fascinating to see like the way they they work with that and I mean I think that's another aspect of the show is like the fact that you know so many of these actors are speaking you know in sign language and using that to communicate and like a lot of them are speaking at the same time that they're signing and sort of like the different you know methods of communication and like ways of getting you know that information across to us as like an audience um so yeah, yeah I think that that's like a really interesting aspect of like the, the acting that's going on here yeah you know um so i i, I also had um pulled up an article um variety interviewed alakwa about well various things about working on the show and one of the things was about like asl um mm -hmm. and like you know the process of like you know incorporating asl into into the series um and she was saying uh quote asl of course has hand uh, movement and body movement but most important is the most important part is to be able to convey the message it's hard to make those decisions because English and ASL are different. The word order and structure is different. So it's another layer on top of a layer on top of layer, which makes it very challenging to be able to make those decisions. But ASL is already such an expressive language. So I think it just kind of naturally went hand in hand. Um, and I thought that was interesting, especially because like, I mean, yes, like you said, Carolyn, there's a lot of focus on her face, um, but there's a lot going on, obviously, like with her hands and like, you know, not only with her, but with the other actors as well. And like the... Um, 
you know, the, I mean, it's kind of like the way I think her father describes it of like, you know, going back and forth between two worlds, you know, that, like mm. you, you feel that a lot, even just within, with the dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like a really interesting point about how, like, you know, in order to uh, speak in ASL, it's like, there has to be a different vocabulary because it's like, you can't translate exactly word for word. Um, and that makes me think of sort of how, you know, when, when a film gets translated into, you know, I'm, I'm a native English speaker, so I'm looking at most movies in English and also a huge amount of media is produced in the United States. So that's in English. Um, but it's like, it'll be interesting, you know, sometimes to, uh, look at like subtitles or, you know, if there's a, a book that you see being translated to be able to sort of compare, the two and see kind of how, like if, if I'm watching something that's like in French with subtitles, cause I speak enough French that I can kind of catch things. Um, you know, sometimes I'll notice I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of a different thing than what they've written down or like, oh, they're translating a very like slang, like a phrase that's slang or like a specific phrase that would be hard for an English speaking audience to catch into something else. So it's like, um, yeah, there's that, that's a super interesting aspect of this story that like, it has to be kind of translated, you know, back and forth from from sign language for an audience who doesn't, you know, who doesn't sign. Right. Or the other way around, right? Yeah, you know, the other way around. Like if you're an mm -hmm. you know, someone in the audience who, you know, is primarily communicating that way, it's like, how does that translate in terms of like the dialogue you're reading in the subtitles? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so is there, I mean, I, I think you had one more, you had another a broad question that you wanted us to maybe touch on briefly before we go in episode by episode. Um, yeah, I had a couple of questions. I mean, first of all, you know, we talked earlier about the fact that like this show is popular and like I kind of gave, you know, part of my, one of my explanations is like, I think that the self-contained nature is something that um, maybe drew people to this, uh, but you know, I don't think that's the only reason, but like, what, what do you think, um, maybe the reason why it's striking a chord right now, or people are excited to see it? Like if you, if you could guess, or if you've maybe had conversations with people, you know, outside of our little podcast pot, um, about why they liked it, like, is there something that came up? Yeah, I mean, well, the only people I've talked to about this series, um, aside from you guys, is uh, my parents. Um, like I, I've mentioned in our Marvel is Dead Long Live Marvel podcast, um, they've kind of followed out of the MCU for the most part, um, you know, other than a few things here and there. And I started watching Echo with them, um, but then I kept going because, you know, it was like, we started on the weekend, but then the week happened and like, I just was watching in between like work and other things that I was doing, you know, so yeah. Um, mm -hmm you know, but my parents seem to like it. Um, they haven't been like pounding at my door to watch the rest of it, but I, I, I will make them watch the rest of it soon. <laughs> um, yeah, like I could, I could tell that like, at least my dad was interested. Um, and like, it felt like, um, kind of a different entry point into like the MCU, which I think was kind of needed for, for them certainly as people who haven't really kept up with it. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think, um, yeah, yeah. I I would say like yeah, I like that I think it's like the the self-contained aspects of the story that does make it feel more accessible and I think anyone who did happen to watch Hawkeye like it feels like a 
very easy like through line you know just to can you continue on if you were intrigued by her story which you know I remember we certainly were from Hawkeye you know that's like a good entry point like there's like there's more entry points I feel like for this series and like you know and it's such a different yeah I mean it's a different flavor than what you were talking about Caroline in terms of genre and you know and getting back into like you know kind of boots on the ground kind of character and like it's a character driven story I mean that was the thing that we were um talking about and like talking about the MCU as a whole it's like I am just thirsty for something super character driven that is just focused on you know um on the people and 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 on character development and following a person's journey through you know complicated family issues personal issues mental health issues you know the whole gambit um you know and I think I think Echo really delivered on that desire so that's that's my thought on it Nice. I feel pretty much similarly because I, uh, wow, ladies, you guys are literally the only ones I could talk to about this. My family's not interested and my other friends are more or less interested, but even then, like, they don't keep up. But honestly, if I were to try to recruit anyone into the Marvel Universe, this would definitely be one of the shows I would uh, point out. Yeah, yeah, I, um... I definitely think that, yeah, it's something where it's like, if you know someone who is maybe not that into Marvel or kind of like maybe has watched a few things or just kind of a casual fan, um, I feel like this might be a good jumping in point where it's like, you know, for instance, something, there are other things where it's like, I may enjoy it a lot, but I'm like, okay, I think you maybe have to be a fan or I'm like, oh gosh, you have to watch a whole bunch of other things. Um, and with this one, I'm like, no, I think you could just kind of go in cold. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I also, I think that it has to do with like a lot of people did watch, it seems like a lot of people watched Hawkeye and when Echo showed up in Hawkeye, like, you know, she's a character, as I said, I don't read a whole lot of comics. So she's a character I'd never encountered in the comics. Um, but as soon as she showed up on Hawkeye, it's like, she was so charismatic and so interesting. And there was clearly stuff going on with her that we didn't see in that show that it's like, I was immediately kind of hooked into hearing more about her so I think that's definitely a big part of it um is that connection that's like for people who who did see Hawkeye and who have been keeping up it's like um yeah she was kind of a, a breakout character from from that series so yeah I think one of those one of those times where like the the spinoff actually like triumphs you know like you know because you I think of a lot of examples well especially in sitcoms of like one episode kind of trying to be a backdoor for another series, you know, sometimes they take off and sometimes they don't. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm really glad Echo did. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Like backdoor pilots are kind of infamous. <laughs> um, and in this case, it was sort of a, I think because part of it was like, it's kind of a backdoor like thread running through the series that it was able to, you know, kind of work. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, any other, is there anything else you wanted to discuss before we got into it then? Yeah, um, I had another question and this is like very, very open-ended. Um, so, and you know, I don't have a good necessarily clear answer to it, but like I was seeing, I've been seeing for the past, like, I think since 2020, especially, I've been seeing a lot of kind of takes on, you know, popular media, um, especially things sort of coming out of like the Disney, Pixar, Marvel, 
um, world. Um, a lot of people like looking at some of these things that have gotten popular and talking about this idea of like the theme of generational trauma or trauma in general being like a trend. And I think some, some of these takes I've seen have been in sort of, you know, in good faith. Some of them I think have been kind of clickbaity. And like, I guess I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that. It's like, do you think that there is a concern about like, you know, treating this very serious issue like a trend? Or do you think that that's not what's going on? It's just that we're seeing, you know, a variety of stories that are reckoning with that. Or do you think that maybe it's like, this isn't necessarily a new thing, but it's just being kind of labeled with like a buzzword? Um, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm curious to know people's thoughts on this question because it's one that I don't have like a clear answer to, but I've been kind of thinking about. Yeah, you know, I, oh, it would require more thinking on my part to like, think about media and stories more broadly in that in that lens. Um, so I, I can't really say it like definitively, like, whether there have been necessarily more like, stories about um, generational trauma and unpacking that in like recently versus in the past um, or versus like now people are actually paying attention to those stories. You know, there's, there's a lot of layers to that. Um, yeah. I yeah. think, I think the only thing that comes to my mind um, in thinking about like um, concerns about being a trend quote unquote is, you know, I think, I think it is important to have this reckoning, um, you know, of unpacking generational trauma um, not make not turning it into like um, what's the phrase like pain porn you know and not like yeah, um, yeah turning it into like a scintillating like little like oh let's look at the pain and put it under a microscope kind of thing right um, but I think it's important for um, you know people of all different backgrounds um, and thinking specifically you know people people of color um, to like have the, the forum to be able to unpack that, you know, generational trauma and like how it manifests in different cultures. Um, you know, we were talking offline, right, about the different examples we could think of, like the Encanto or like Turning Red and like, um, you know, and how generational trauma manifests in those, in those films, um, you know, and like, and again, and I think that is important. I think that it's necessary. And I feel like people like, I remember people, especially with Encanto, like people were just like, oh, I feel seen. That's, that's so my grandma, you know, that's so like my parents and like, you know, um, you know, on the other hand, though, I would say I would just want to make sure that those aren't the only stories we're telling. Right. Um, it's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Caroline, about like, you know, indigenous people talking about like how it's like uh, we don't only live like in rural areas. Right. We also live in the cities and everything, you know, yeah. and it's like we're not all like you know just dealing I mean <laughs> it's not like not all our stories are trauma-based and they don't need to be all trauma-based and I think that would be the only thing I would say as like a caveat in terms of thinking about you know stories that have you know a lot of this going on all this emotional baggage that you know we're having to deal with it's like again important I don't want it to be the only story I'm seeing all the time but yeah I think that would be the only thing I would say to that yeah yeah, I think that that's a really, a really good point about how like, you know, especially if we are focusing on the, you know, generational trauma with different, you know, like ethnic and cultural groups, like if it turns into, you know, a, this sort of, I guess, trend or overall theme of like, 
oh, you know, people of color equals generational trauma. And like, that's the only story that is being told like that, you know, I think that can be a, that could be a big problem and that could be very limiting. Um, but, you know, as long as that's not the case, like, I think that it's a different scenario. And also, I mean, for me, one of the things I think in terms of whenever anything is described as a trend, I'm like, I think part of it is that like, you know, certain things are going to capture the zeitgeist at certain times. Um, and also that, you know, something, I don't think that even if a work does fit in a broader trend, it's not a trend unless the creators are treating it like one. Um, I think we can all think of examples of, especially when it comes to representation, where certain things sort of feel like they're there sort of to be, you know, obligatory. Um, certain kinds of representation or certain kinds of things where it's like, oh, we ticked that box. Oh, this is real hot right now. And it's like, well, if Gosh. you don't actually care about this group of people, like just, you know, stick to what you know, stick to what you like to write. Like don't include people you know, as tokens or because you think that this is a trendy thing to do. Um, so it's like, if you're not, if the creators are not treating it as a trend, then I think that that's important. If we start to see creators like treating stuff as trends, I think that that's a cause for concern, but it's like, that's not how, that's not the sense I get from this show personally. It doesn't feel, you know, quote unquote trendy. If anything, it feels healing to me, especially in the last episode, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Jen do you have any thoughts well I'm really hoping it's not becoming a trend because I'm like thinking about other uh, movies and media that show the whole uh, generational trauma and I think as long as media handles it well instead of treating it as like a hot button discussion then I think it'll be okay because it is something that does need to be talked about because you see these characters and people in real life that are affected by these things that happen generation to generation. Like you guys say Encanto, you got Turning Red, Coco, you know, th th this is like legit stuff. So yes, please talk about it. Treat it with the care and respect like it deserves, especially when it, it comes from different cultures. Does it need to be spoken of all the time? Uh, as long as it's like, quote unquote, not trending, I guess. Because there are multiple stories out there, people. There are just so many stories. Don't be afraid to talk about these things that you feel like can't be talked about or you feel like you can't tackle, you know? And I'm again, I'm only hoping that this isn't like a quote-unquote trending thing because I love all these stories that have talked about uh, generational trauma and I like how this was incorporated in Echo, especially since, like you said, Ridge, it was healing. It was very, you know, cathartic towards the end there for, like, Maya and then for us as the viewers here. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a balance there. But I feel like most stories in general are, because even though you want to represent, a misstep can be very harmful and very insulting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I kind of feel about this when I've, when I've read some of these um, pieces of people talking about trauma and how everything's about trauma now, um, some of them just to me, I, I look at them and I'm, and I think, I mean, some of them kind of sound contrarian. Like I read this one sort of very kind of 
uh, I, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but it's like the piece was very kind of academic, but it's like the conclusion seemed to be that like they never wanted to know characters' backstories because it's like, I don't need to know about their trauma. Everything's trauma now. And I'm like, the, knowing who characters are is just part of like knowing them as a character, you know? A character with a fully fleshed out like past and future and everything is just a complicated character, you know? Because that's how people are in real life. Like all of us have, you know, lots of things that make up our identity, you know, how we were raised, where we come from, you know, geographically, where we, like ethnic group, religion, you know, what we like, what we don't like, you know, lots of little things that have happened to us throughout our lives that have like impacted who we are as people. Like the idea that like, I just don't want to know where characters come from. I'm just like, what? That, that just seems antithetical to storytelling. You know, um, and I'm not saying that like every character has to come with like a manual of like their entire backstory, like a lore dump or something. Just that like you as the author should know where they're coming from and it should be implied even if you don't say everything. Um, so like, I don't know, that was one thing where I was just like looking at that and being like, okay, you're just, I think you're just being, you know, you're just trying to be kind of artsy and you're ending up in this weird place because you think you're talking about something contemporary. And for me, Part of the whole thing with people saying everything's about trauma now, I'm like, I just think that the word trauma has gotten like way overused um, because it's like it, a lot of, I think, psychological terms that have value have become overused because we're all kind of like using therapy speak all the time. Um, but like, if you look at most stories throughout most of, you know, like recorded history, trauma is a big part of that, you know? So it's like you go back to like the ancient, you know, go back to like the epic of Gilgamesh. You could say that's about trauma, like the trauma of losing a loved one. You know, you could go back to like the Iliad. You could say that's about the trauma of war. You know, like these are just how people tell stories. I think usually something bad happens to the characters and that is where the conflict and the plot comes from. Um, and also just... You know, I think when it comes to people talking about how specifically we're seeing a lot of stories about like generational trauma with people of color, it's like, I think we've been seeing a lot of these stories about white families for quite some time now, you know. Um, so it's like, I think we didn't think a lot of critics didn't see these as trendy when they were about like a white family with a history of mental illness. And that's the trauma or, you know, a white family in the cycle of abuse. And that's the trauma. Or, you know, even with, um, you know, within like, because whiteness is a fake concept, um, within the concept of whiteness, it's like there are different ethnic groups who historically haven't been considered white. And like, you know, their trauma and their experiences have been unpacked because like, uh, you know, before um, we started recording, I was talking about how when I was in LA, I was looking at the uh, exhibit on The Godfather at the, you know, Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Museum. Um, and, you know, the thing about, like, The Godfather and other stories about, you know, crime families and the mafia and specifically, like, the Italian mafia, it's, like, those are all about, like, family trauma in specifically within, like, the Italian-American immigrant experience and, like, its relationship with organized crime and its relationship with, like, violence and mental health issues and, like, again, these patterns that are passed down in families and also what it means to be an immigrant in America and what it means to be Italian American and how that's changed over generations. Um, so it's like, 
these stories I don't think are new. It's just that nowadays there are different spotlights on, you know, different people and different cultures. And also, you know, within those cultures, it's like, you know, if you look in the history of like Latin American literature, there are plenty of stories about family cycles and generational trauma, or you could call them stories about generational trauma. You know, there's a lot of like, you know, I'm sure plenty of like, there's within Asian cultures, within African cultures, there are these family, you know, the idea of like the family saga or a work of literature that like focuses on a family throughout generations, like, that's again a very old and like very you know wide uh, variety of stories that fall under that umbrella so yeah um this is just a take I've heard that I, I just feel like is kind of I don't know maybe speaks to people either being surprised at like stories about people who aren't white or maybe just like who have this seems to me like maybe a limited vocabulary or limited view of like what storytelling is and what it looks like where they're like oh they've seen a bunch of movies that are like this now therefore this is a trend so yeah anyway that's kind of my uh something that's been kind of in the back of my head for a while that I kind of wanted to you know talk about yeah no thanks for bringing it up um and I, I'm sure we'll we'll you know touch it touch on it more as we're talking about um echo more in earnest but yeah um well if there's nothing else then I think we're ready to get into the episodes now let's do this all right um okay so we're opening i mean we open up with the first thing that we see is flashback of the origins of the choctaw with uh chava emerging as a human uh, from under the earth um so this i just wanted to give a little bit of background info on this um so this is derived from like um Chakta, um lore about like creation um it's a little bit different they took a little bit of creativity creative liberty with it um so in uh, i'm i'm pulling this from an article on screen rant um in the Chakta migration story uh chata and chicksaw um who are two brothers um lay the bones of their ancestors in a great mound buried in the earth this mound became known as nani uh Wea, the mound of all creation which led to the emergence of a more otherworldly creation myth. The story that Echo explores is this myth which states that from Naniwea, uh, the creator fashioned the first people. These people crawled through a long cave, eventually emerging in daylight, becoming the first Choctaw. Uh, they were said to have dried themselves in the sun before building the settlement on site, which is depicted in the opening moments of Echo. So, yeah, so it is based on, like, actual, you know, Choctaw stories about, like, the creation story, um, but, like, with variation, it is with instead of two brothers, right, it's, like, a, a woman is the focus as, like, the leader, so to speak. Um, so I just wanted to, um, yeah, I just wanted to note that. And, like, also that um, Chafa demonstrates abilities for departing from the cave, depicted as swirling patterns in her palms that extend into her arms. Um, and Screen Rat noted that in some Native American cultures, the spiral symbol seen on Chafa's palms represents life's journey, growth, and eternity relating to existence on Earth. So... Yeah, just wanted to get a little background on that because that was that was like a it was not ex how I expected this series to open. Frankly, it was it was interesting. What do you guys think about that as like as the opening? It's beautiful. Like I really thought they would just get right into it where Hawkeye left off and everything, and then just go from there. So this, I was just like, oh, this is different. All right, you know, I'm sitting back enjoying myself. The visuals were beautiful, and it was like the perfect way to sort of like 
foreshadow what Maya was going to experience with the flashbacks of her ancestors and the her burgeoning powers. So very well done, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of, because of the way in which, again, the show has been sort of marketed and uh, like what the trailers look like, um, I think it was an interesting way of kind of putting the audience into a different headspace than maybe they were expecting, um, you know, in terms of setting it in this kind of like very, very distant past uh, and incorporating, you know, these more kind of like surreal elements um, to a story that has like a very, you know, also has this very grounded side to it. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a really interesting way of, of opening um, the series. I think it's really telling that they wanted to subvert our expectations like that, you know, because like, I mean, we were just talking about like trauma and trauma-based storytelling and everything, but like this, this opening feels so intentional in that like we're seeing the beginning of life right? Like the first, um, you know, Choctaw woman and like, you know, how she is leading her people forward in hope, you know, they've, they've literally experienced rebirth. We watched them experience rebirth. Um, and that's how this series opens, right? And there's light also, like the symbolism of light, sh like showing the way and like, you know, opening up a new door into a new place, into a new experience, maybe even a new dimension. Um, I'm not sure, you know, you could, you can, I don't know, argue that they're coming from a different dimension um, as far as this MCU creation story, version of the creation story goes. So I just think that's, it's really telling in terms of like the the tone they want to start off with, with this series. Yeah, yeah. And I think like that also to some extent like speaks to what you were saying earlier about how like this series feels healing. Like I think, you know, uh, again, in terms of what I was expecting, um, I was expecting more, it's like grim, gritty, grim, dark. And like, you know, I say that um, kind of jokingly, but like, that's not inherently a bad thing. You know, I do think it's good to have things that are darker and grittier sometimes. But like, mm -hmm. I think one of the strengths of this series is the way it balances, you know, sort of like the some of the violence and some of the, you know, more kind of, you know, nasty elements with, these uh, scenes like this one, that's very, you know, it's full of light. There's a be beautiful scenery. Um, it's about like stepping out into the world and embracing the world um, and creating the world. And so, and also there's all these, you know, very quiet moments and these very kind of um, down to earth, like family moments between like, you know, Maya and the other characters and, and you know, friendship moments. And so it's like, um, yeah, I think it, it really kind of announces like, hey, this series is not just about, you know, feeling angry and sad and punching people a lot. Like it's, you know, there's something uh, more more healing, more holistic that's going to go on here. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Well, it's also, you know, one of the things when I when I mentioned sort of, you know, indigenous commentators talking about this idea of like, you know, hey, indigenous people like live in cities too. There's also this aspect of, uh, one of the things they point out is like, hey, why is it indigenous characters like only show up in things that are set in the past? Um, and like, because, you know, indigenous people still are around and also have this long history. So like, I think, you know, one of the things that goes on with the ancestors and with these flashbacks is that it's like, this is a contemporary series that shows you like contemporary indigenous life, but it also is about like reaching back into the past, into that history 
um, and into this more sort of, you know, quasi, you know, mythological space. And I don't mean mythological in the sense of like, you know, not true. I mean, like maybe true in a different sense or, you know, true in a like, um, you know, in a, like a spiritual, you know, moral sense. Um, and so it's like, there's this idea of these different layers of like, yeah, history and, you know, philosophy and spirituality and also, you know, contemporary day-to-day -day life. Yeah, I think, I think the show does do a good job of blending that. And I think it's interesting, I mean, looking at the series more broadly, the titles um, are all the, are the different names of Maya's ancestors, you know, uh, like Chafa is the first Choctaw woman, um, Loak, who is, you know, playing the game of Choctaw stickball in the second episode, that that's the, you know, who the episode's named after. Um, mm. I'm not sure if I'm remembering how I pronounced it correctly, so I apologize, Tuklo. Um, from the third episode, who um, practices shooting, becomes one of the light horsemen. Um, that's episode three, and then, uh, oh gosh, Toloa. I'm I'm forgetting who Toloa is in that in that fourth episode. It's escaping me right now. Is that her? It's not her grandma because her name is Shula. That's not her mother, is it? Oh, it's her mother. Yes. Yeah, I was about yes. to say, like I think it's her mother, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, it's, yeah. So it's, it's following like, yeah, the, the, I don't know. It's just interesting that the names of the episodes are, you know, her various ancestors leading up through her mother to Maya for the last episode. Um, And it's, it's playing with that idea of like past leading into the present and the connection between them, even just from the episode titles. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I think, okay, this is kind of like a bigger question kind of leading into like the fact that I, I did, I was rewatching Hawkeye um, just now <laughs> like the past few days. Um, and like something I had forgotten from watching Hawkeye like back in, I think it came out in 2021, um, was that like Maya was just trying to leave after she found out the truth about um Fisk and like you know his role in you know her ordering essentially ordering her dad's death um and like partly part of the reason why I want to go back is I was trying to remember like I'm like why did she want her dad dead I could like I I don't know if I just like missed it in my rewatch I'm not remembering but I'm not sure that's ever actually I can't remember if he had a reason or if he ever said yeah. why he wanted him dead I, yeah, that's an interesting point because I don't think that was ever clarified. And it, you know, it's, it's interesting because you'd think that that would be such an important question in terms of like, you know, how she feels about Kingpin, but it's also like, you know, maybe it is to illustrate that it's actually not that important a question. Like it doesn't, you know, it, there was probably some kind of practical business reason or something like that, but it's like, whatever it was, it probably was not a good reason, you know? And I yeah. think, yeah, part of the reason he doesn't say is because whatever it was, it just like, it wouldn't justify his actions to her. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I just like, that, but that was part of the reason I rewatched. I'm like, did I just not remember? <laughs> did, I, did they say, and I just didn't remember? Um, but when, uh, the thing that came up though was like, when she finds out the truth about this, she, um, tells Kazi um that she just like she's like I don't want to kill you let's just leave let's just go and he says this is my life you know and like he tries to fight her and kill her and you know 
um and he ends up dying and like you know there's this moment of like i'm like wow she really just just wanted to book it like you know after after this um revelation she just she just wanted out and like Mm -hmm. um when we see her at the beginning of this series um she she wants to take right she says she wants to take over kingpin's empire which honestly i don't know if i totally believe her especially coming by the end of this but like um that's like what she says she's trying to do and you know i mean i get the impression that it's really not because she's all that interested in the power even from the beginning like i think it's really just more about revenge and like she like lost you know this this person that she cared about uh, at the end of hawkeye uh, like another person she cared about because of because of his loyalty to i don't know i guess to kingpin in that way of life and stuff and she's like okay i have nothing left so you know what why don't i just um you know take what kingpin left behind i don't know i i'm, I'm kind of wrapping my head around like what exactly how much i believe like her when she says that's what she wants to do um because she she just seems more interested in just getting revenge and blowing stuff up <laughs> to be frank so like <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah like that's that's the thing is like you get this I, I think I I'd agree with you on that one that I think that for her you know it's more about like okay she thinks she killed Kingpin but it's like that you know when you I think I mean I don't know I've never been in the, the position of you know having a loved one killed and then killing the person who did it so I don't know how those people feel but um <laughs> the sense I get personally is that if that happened like if you know someone I love was killed you know violently I I can't imagine killing the person who did it would feel like would you know would bring much satisfaction it's like the person you loved is still gone and then it's like you know for Maya once she thinks Kingpin is dead it's like she's still hurt she's still angry but like those feelings don't really have a place to go because it's like she you know she got revenge and so now she's just kind of in this place of like yeah she's still hurting and she kind of wants a place to direct that and I think yeah this whole idea of like okay well I killed Kingpin what did he love oh he cared about his crime empire okay I'm gonna either burn that down or take it over or some combination of the two mm-hmm. yeah I guess for her it was like it was the next best thing you know it's like the most logical step on what to do yeah, I guess um yeah, I guess that that makes sense. I just yeah, I just I was kind of like I was kind of going back and forth. I'm like, "Wait, does she really want this?" cuz I I was really thinking about it especially in the last episode. I'm like, she does not feel like someone who really wants to like go after him, right? Even after knowing he's still alive. I mean, that's the whole thing. Like he's like she like kills him and like that did feel like a kill shot to be fair you know like she shot him in the head like if she was around in infinity war like thanos would have been dead and the the snap never would have happened like she would have gone for the head. like <laughs> <laughs> yeah for some reason it doesn't work on kingpin which i kind of take issue with that whole thing is weird like he like i wish they would just say that he's indestructible that he's invulnerable because he is yeah like i mean the thing is that you know, people have definitely, like, had their eyes shot out and, um, you know, survived because, yeah, people have lost eyes. But it's, like, usually that happens from, like, a shot that goes past your eye or, you know, maybe it's a shot that's far enough away that, like, it can hit into your eye and then, like, not go through your entire skull. But, like, you know, she shot at a very close range. Um, so, yeah, I I think that's kind of, that's frustrating because it's, like, in 
the um you know in hawkeye you know we did hear a shot but like we didn't see it connect um so it's like it could have theoretically you know she could have like you know aimed it past his head and shot as like a warning shot or i don't know shot him somewhere else that's like he had a better chance of surviving but yeah i i think it's weird that a guy with theoretically no superpowers was able to survive that I mean, as it was, we like we were all saying like, how does he survive getting like crashed into by a car and like an explosion? Like, how is he still walking? And like, I feel like it's worse now. Like, I wish they would have just said like, you know, I'm just like baffled because like again, yeah, if she had shot him in the gut, and like you know, it could have been a whole thing of like you didn't really want to kill me because they the unpacked like you know he says like you don't look, you looked kind of relieved to see that I was alive, you know, and like. You really could see that in her face like there's like that that conflict about it so it's like i don't think it would have been a stretch for her to not have actually given like a kill shot like what should have been like her shooting him in the eye you know like yeah like it like they mm-hmm. they could have done that and not made it weird but instead now we're stuck with this like lingering weirdness of like how kingpin is able to survive this stuff like the like I don't, I don't like to throw around the term plot armor. I I think it's kind of lame, but like <laughs> plot armor is in on in full force on this guy. Yeah, like I mean, I think that you know when it comes to, especially when it comes to this kind of material, sometimes people are like, how could they survive that? I'm like, I don't know. They have superpowers. Just roll with it. But like the problem with Kingpin is that he doesn't have superpowers as far, as far as we know. But it's also like, you know, if this were a regular crime show where people did not have superpowers, like, you know, that would be kind of ridiculous. But it's like, this is a universe where like, all you have to do is say that like, he took some of that like, you know, bootleg super soldier serum that like the flag smashers are hopped up on, you know, boom, problem solved. Or like, I don't know, he's a, he's got some kind of some kind of superpowers or like, he's got some kind of invulnerability or I don't know, I think it would be kind of silly if he were like a mutant. But, you know, it just something like it would be very easy to hand wave that it's like, he's a rich, powerful guy. We know that there's like a superhero genetics arms race going on. Like, all we need to do is be like, oh yeah, he paid some shady doctor to like inject him with some stuff. Um, and then that could be a, just a perfectly fine hand wave. But yeah, like that's the thing is this makes that, like the finale of Hawkeye was really frustrating because it's like you have this more grounded character who theoretically, you know, should be able to like, should actually take damage from all the stuff that happened to him. Just keep, keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going, then gets shot in the face and he's fine. You know, his eyes kind of wonky now. Like, yeah, it's very strange. It's it's super strange, and they had they, again the yeah they had two options they didn't take it and like the latter option of them him him being like genetically modified or whatever it's like maybe that would have like felt like too all right we're getting too much into like away from the grounded approach we want with the series but again it's like all right then go with the alternative where she like didn't shoot to kill even though she wanted to because she has complicated feelings about him you already went into that so like why the eye <laughs> that's the that's the question that will haunt me about this series why the eye. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, that's frustrating. It's like you had this problem left over from Hawkeye and instead of fixing it, you made it worse, you know, it's like they dug themselves into this hole and then they're like, Hmm, let's keep digging instead of like, maybe we should, should fill the hole in. It's so true. I, yeah. So (laughs) I went up, I meant to talk about something else related to her relationship with Kingpin and now I've totally gone off track because I needed to rant about Kingpins. (laughs) 
<laughs> survival rate it's too but, high <laughs> well okay I mean I mean thank you for bringing that up from Hawkeye because like I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one who's frustrated by it because like again I you know I like to think that I'm someone who like isn't necessarily a nitpicker or like isn't someone who's like how did they survive that because like that can I think be a very tedious question especially in these kinds of series but like yeah it just it makes it really sticks out um in terms of making no sense but like one of the things I thought you know was interesting in you bringing up the Hawkeye finale is sort of her relationship with Kazi how like that's not mentioned in this show but also it's like he was someone who she clearly was close to and like she had to kill him so it's like she's just yeah she's this 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 poor lady is walking around with like all these wounds you know all these emotional wounds from like the people she's lost or the people she's like you know her out of her life like her dad her you know this close guy who was like maybe her friend maybe kind of her boyfriend you know some something was going on there like yeah she's just she's lost a lot yeah and she literally walks around when we see her for the first time she's literally walking around with like a gunshot in like the present day like she's been shot one of by one of this uh, guys so like <laughs> yeah and I appreciate like how nasty that was and how like it was clearly taking a lot out of her. Like I, Ooh, I don't know. I know. Like with the floss stitching it up. Oh. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Like that was good, like visceral detail. But it also makes the kingpin stuff like all the more frustrating, you know? <laughs> right. It's like, dude, just say you have superpowers. It's fine. Just Yeah. 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 That's uh, that's honestly how the only way I can wrap my head around it is that he just has invulnerability and like from like experimentations like that's that's how I have to fix it in my head because otherwise it just it does not jive. Yeah. And I mean, like, I do think that that can be a problem, again, with stuff that is trying to be more grounded because it's like, oftentimes it will have trouble sort of adjusting the level of like how how beat up should someone be because like I noticed this with Daredevil where it's like Matt seems to just always be beat up like regardless of who he fought like he fought an army of dudes he got real beat up he fought one dude he got real beat up it's like you know they just because they want to focus on like look see punches have value here like we actually you know put him through the ringer so you know with this one it's kind of funny and that like yeah maya actually takes realistic damage and then kingpin it's just like do 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 i slept on a landmine and i'm fine someone ran me over and i'm fine <laughs> I shot in the face and I am fine. Yay. <laughs> uh, seriously, the dude's a roach. Like yeah. he's never been like that sort of uh, roach villain in the comics in every iteration. I'm like, this is a normal dude. Even comics, like they, they don't, they like, people have lampshaded it. Like, how's this guy still alive? And some, I, I can't remember if it was Spider-Man or like a fan who was just like, he's got money. Of course he's, of course he's alive. I don't know. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm like annoyed with the fact that this guy's still alive, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because again, this is, this is a theme for him. This guy just will not die, whether it be uh, latent powers or money. I don't know. The power of money, the power of roach. I don't know. <laughs> the power of roach. Uh, I, I'm imagining Vincent D'Onofrio being like, I got them to inject me with cockroach DNA. And now I am invincible. You can step on me and I will just come back. This man will survive a nuclear apocalypse. 
and uh yeah. he's still yes. there folks if that dude from scroll the secret invasion had succeeded with the nuclear like war thing kingpin still would have been kicking around he's like what i thought you would aren't you human are you supposed to be dead <laughs> <laughs> seriously oh, I, I don't know how he would do it but i could totally see that like he's one of the ones who probably like survived the snap who wasn't <laughs> bit by a marvel zombie or was bit but didn't turn for some reason oh man now i just want Vibe. like scenes from what if but in all the ones where like the world gets destroyed it's like kingpin's still fine like marvel zombies it's like all the zombies you know dr strange portals like all the zombies off the planet and kingpin is still wandering around and like um you know maybe in the the timeline where like ultron wins it's like widow's like there's no one left and the watcher's like well actually this kingpin <laughs> guy is still wandering around new york you know after the all the nukes fell and yeah that that would be that would be really funny like yeah just him like wandering through zombified new york and like the zombies keep fighting him he's like ouch 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 punch them in a he'll literally just punch them swat them away because he's definitely a punch him in the face kind of guy when pissed off but like he'll just find it as an annoyance like i just got this suit you know and <laughs> just wander on like nothing Ugh. that's his energy yeah oh man maybe like this is how infinity war should have ended is like kingpin and my you know some dr strange like grabs kingpin and maya puts them in front of thanos and like uh thanos can just like punch kingpin over and over and over again and he's still fine and then like maya in the meantime maya shoots him in the head so seriously oh my gosh i need to see that now like they're just kind of roasting each other with their villain monologues and then maya's just like rolls her eyes shoots thanos in the head you know and just takes off the glove not even by taking it off but like chopping off his hand because yeah. hand, you know <laughs> oh, arm chop yep yeah oh uh, man i want it now if she i, I swear if, if she had been in the avengers and infinity war we would have been spared so much pain i'm telling you so much yeah. so much i yeah. believe in her power we've seen <laughs> it we've experienced it she can save us <laughs> yeah I, I think it's kind of funny how, like, everybody makes fun of Natasha for just, like, bringing a gun to, like, a space laser fight. And then, like, when it comes to characters like Maya, we're like, no, no, she she should just bring a gun and shoot the guy in the head. Like, oh, she's she's fine. Like, even without a gun, she's perfectly fine. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, we, went, we went on a tangent there, but... <laughs> um, getting getting back to the i guess the first episode um yeah i mean the domestic life and like her with her like cousin and like how much they loved each other was like so soft and so sweet and i loved how that came up on, um over and over again in like the later episodes like the flashbacks of them in the tent and like the swing set and like you know she's so angry that she shoots the swing set and just like i don't know it's just like her whole relationship with bonnie is 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 so interesting um and like it like just seeing them as babies just hanging out and like that's how it begins like when it's like the pure childhood fun and love you know it was just like so fun so great and like um you know and it it actually kind of reminds me of um WandaVision that like we see that like, we see the you know Wanda and her brother and her parents watching um 
the Dick Van Dyke show and everything is fun. Like it's like a w- very warm family moment and then explosion, you know, it's like, it's kind of like that with like when, you know, it's like, oh no, her mom's going on like the car ride and like, you know, the yeah. mom, the, her mom, the grandma gets a bad feeling. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah. 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 You're right. Like I hadn't thought of that parallel to Wanda where it's like, you know, we see Wanda as just this normal, you know, little girl with a happy family and it's like in, you know, uh, I don't know how many years, but like 10, 15, like 20 years down the road, like that little girl is going to turn into this like, you know, world, like destroyer of worlds, you know, based on like everything that's happened to her over the course of her life. And it's like, yeah, similar thing with Maya, where it's like the the hits just kind of keep on coming. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the scene where she like shoots at the swing set and like I... I, that was one of my my favorites like I really love that kind of that desire to like hurt or destroy or like wipe out that like vulnerable like innocent sort of part of herself because she's like so you know she's so upset and she's like trying to to shut herself away from like that pain you know I thought that was like a really powerful scene right there mm-hmm. yeah and like there's there's a lot there with like her avoiding bonnie too you know it like she's willing to talk to everybody else except for her Uh oh my heart yeah and like i mean and this i i apologize for skipping i think the kind of way i'm i'm doing this is like things that like come up in the in the first episode i'm just gonna follow through to the end um but like um just in terms of how the themes keep coming up but like you know like the whole idea of like reaching out and connecting to your family, right? Like Bonnie, I that is her name, right? I'm not, I'm not speaking. Yes, That's her it's name. Bonnie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. Like keeps she does reach out, you know, and like when her her dad dies, you know, we know for sure. But I'm sure she reached out to her plenty of other times as well, you know. And she never replies. And like it's interesting that she never replies to her, but then she's angry at, um her grandma for never reaching out you know um and they have that that big confrontation later about it and like I thought it was just I I was like yeah I was I thought that was interesting when she was talking about expressing her anger which you know I totally understood and that's what I was thinking about in the first episode where you know the grandma's just focusing all her energy on on blaming um Maya's father for what happened to you know her Maya's mother um Chula's daughter um and like you know just focusing on that and just like I'm like um and he's taking her to new york and like the grandma's not even saying anything and bonnie's just like just stay away from them stay away from your cousin and it's like i'm sorry is that not your daughter's daughter is that not your granddaughter and like you know just like the just like taking out her anger on i mean obviously on william on maya's father but also on maya and like you know and like the pain that she feels about that so many years later and yet at the same time, like the family member who does reach out to her, you like she's resentful of the family who doesn't reach out to her, but then she never reaches back out to the family that does. And like I'm I'm interested in unpacking like why you guys think that is. I mean, we kind of touching on it with the swing set, but like I wanted to to peel back a few more layers with that. If you had any thoughts on it. Yeah, like I I think for me, like I think part of it is um yeah that that sense of like Bonnie being her connection to this like better happier time and like I think you know for someone who is you know really 
in a lot of pain, drown, you know, really drowning in it. It's like, I think oftentimes, you know, knowing that there was maybe another, you know, it, things didn't have to be that way, or there was a time like when, you know, when you were happy can be sort of more painful because it's like, it, it contrasts against what you're feeling now. Um, so like you feel the contrast so strongly. I mean, um, and I think that maybe that's part of it is that like, she has all these good memories with Bonnie and she kind of like, yeah, wants to keep them sort of locked away um, because she doesn't want to, you know, have to think about sort of what she's lost in terms of that family connection. Um, but, and I think with her, her grandmother, you know, the way she sort of replicates that, I think it may be to some extent a sort of like replicating that pattern, or, I mean, maybe she kind of sees Bonnie as being sort of part of the family unit. And so it's like, well, you know, one member of the family is, has cut me off. So I'm going to kind of treat the rest of the family like that. Um, oh yeah good point I honestly figured uh, um, she didn't want to talk to Bonnie because Bonnie it literally was a representation of all the good things she had in childhood like a time where she had a family a time where her mother was still alive all that innocence and good stuff you know that's that was my thinking you know you just she didn't want to face the fact that that part of her life is just over and maybe a little bit of shame in there because she must know that despite the misconceptions with her and her grandmother, like there's still, I'm guessing that point where it's like, where would my family, what would my family think of me now considering all the things I've done, you know, especially this person who I kind of suspect she puts a little bit on a pedestal if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a really good point. You know, and also like, I think with her grandmother, it's like, we see, I think we see that sort of same behavior where it's like her grandmother, you know, I think maybe is not, re you know, part of the reason she doesn't want to contact with Maya. I mean, she says, it's like, you're so much like your mom. So it's like, you know, it could be that she's so used to seeing Maya as like an extension of her, you know, her daughter or like, you know, part of her daughter, like their time together is being so synonymous that it's like, it's, re it's more, it's really painful to be around Maya. Um, and then for Maya, it's kind of the same thing where it's like Bonnie is an extension of like that childhood. But like, yeah, that's a great, you know, point you bring up about how, you know, Maya is so heavily involved in this, um, you know, the Fisk like crime empire and she's done all these things. It's like, how do you, you know, tell someone about that? And especially, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right that like there's some extent of like Bonnie, um, she sees Bonnie as like this, you know, yeah, this again, part of this more innocent time is this more innocent person is someone she doesn't want to like bring into what it is she's doing right now. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, too, because if you want to think about like the how how she thinks about Bonnie in terms of like we're from two different worlds and like we and, you know, I just have no no place in it. Like there's the fact that like, you know, yes, um. Maya is from the, you know, involved in the criminal underworld of Kingpin's empire or whatever. And meanwhile, you know, Bonnie's profession is an EMT, right? Like the, the whole essence of her, her job is to like care for patients. It's like the, it's from the field of, you know, healing, much like, you know, Maya's mother was, you know, was literally a healer. Um, so there's like that as well. I don't know, that's just that, that contrast of like just showing like, 
um you know when she's she's watching bonnie from a distance and she's hanging out with all the e- other emts and like just living a normal life but but also yeah i don't know it's like so clear like you know what she does is like so different from you know it's like for maya it's like she's surrounded by a lot of death and she's caused a lot of death and you know her cousin is on this totally different plane of existence to her yeah like yeah that 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 contrast and and also the, the kind of the longing in those scenes where it's like she's looking at her she's seeing her life but she can't kind of bring herself to you know to come and be part of it again um and there's also like the line from her her granddad that I really liked it's one of those lines where it's like you know it's very sort of simple and but can mean a lot of different things where I think where he says like sometimes people did things they wish were different and I'm like you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what exactly that means, but I'm like, I feel like it does mean a few different things. And part of it, I think, is this idea of, like, people can sort of know that what they're doing. A lot of times, like, people may, you know, some people are really good at, like, being to- totally divorcing themselves from reality and convincing themselves that what they're doing is right. But, like, I think there are definitely times in a lot of people's lives where it's like, you know, they know something about themselves. They know they have this behavior pattern. They know they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing but they, they kind of can't, it's hard to stop or it's hard to pull themselves out or it's hard to figure out how to do something different. So, you know, it's like, it's, I think it's very likely that her grandma did know that like, this wasn't the right thing to be doing, but it's like, if she just couldn't see another way, like, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what's going on with Maya too, is that she just, it's hard to, to find, yeah, to sort of make the change to this behavior pattern. Um, because it's sort of, it's safer, or it's what she's been doing for so long that it's like, it's hard to get out of it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, (laughs) uh, I think of, well, is there anything else I guess you wanted to talk about as far as this first episode goes? Um, um, well, I wanted to sort of make a note of like something that's a kind of reoccurring uh, motif or I guess, you know, th- this aspect of Maya's character is that like, I really love the trick where she puts the hair tie around the motorcycle and uses it to like, you know, send it out and smash the window and distract the cops. And like, that's, I feel like something that Maya um, does a lot where she's like, she's very resourceful. Like she's really good at like seeing what's around her. And like, like in this, you know, the fight where she like grabs the chair and throws it, you know, it's like, that's something that's not a weapon, but she can make it a weapon, you know, or how she like creates this like kind of projectile thing, um, just from stuff she found in the bowling alley storage closet, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, the bowling alley fight so in general. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's so good. But yeah, like so much of the bowling alley fight is her like using her environment and her like luring people onto her ground and using things in the bowling alley, you know, like using the, you know, parts of the games as like whips and using, you know, smashing people into the glass and like, yeah, it's just, again, it's like that one of those examples, like show don't tell. It's like, no one's like, Maya is a master strategist, but it's like, Maya is clearly very resourceful and very observant. You know, we see it, like we see that in the way she acts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, well, I know we said we weren't going to talk about Daredevil anymore, but I did have one note about him when he shows up. Is that yeah. like 
he seems kind of like it's not like he's not fighting her because like he's not dumb enough to not fight her like he can tell she's very competent but like i get the sense that he's kind of trying like he tries to talk to her um you know even though he's like i saw you and like well you couldn't see her and she can't hear you now um which is kind of an interesting aspect of like you know the two of them and their you know their identities and like in that conversation um but it's like he's kind of trying to talk to her and he seems like he doesn't want to fully commit like he again i'm not saying he's like pulling his punches but it just seems like there's some level of hesitation in fighting her and it's like i wonder if he can tell that she does not want to be there or if he can tell she's kind of she's maybe she's new he hasn't seen her around or like i don't know it seems to me like there's some you know he's he's thinking about her differently than like the other henchmen well, I don't think it's necessarily that she doesn't want to be there, though, right? I mean, because she seems to be all in with Kingpin and, like, the her whole training regimen. And, like, I think you're ready now. And you could tell she's like, all right, let's go, you know? Um, like, so I don't think it's, like, quite that. But I think you're right that, like, he... I mean, I don't know. He seems kind of just exasperated. He's like, oh, man, you're just... It's just... I had a plan. <laughs> yeah. And now you've thrown a wrench in it. And that's not your fault, but... <laughs> you know I don't know that's kind of the vibe that I was getting I'm just like he just seems kind of tired <laughs> yeah well I mean so but, done like when she's in that situation it's like first of all this is like her first mission and yeah you know, the dialogue that the guys say you know implies that like she's being she's being put out there earlier than most people like this is you know she's very green compared to other people in the organization so it's like I think even if you are someone who's been training for a long time like your first you know foray into real combat is gotta be scary. Um, and like also, you know, she does kind of freeze up um mm. during that fight. So, you know, I just I wonder if like Matt can tell that, you know, a part of her might be is scared. Like, cause you know, he can Oh, he could totally tell. He he can hear heartbeats and yeah. figure out body right. temperature and stuff. He was definitely listening from the moment she stepped in and was like, okay, female, quiet girl, her okay, she's a little unnerved up she's annoyed now up okay she's annoyed you know so he definitely knows exactly what she's feeling but i'm assuming he's just like look you're not the big fish here i gotta go for that i'm that's my theory for why he kind of hesitated with her knowing like look i needed to get the drop on this and right now you just need to go down I don't want to really hurt you because from what I can tell, you're just kind of there. But damn, you really got in my wake early. That's a, <laughs> That was the vibe I was getting. Yeah. Um. Actually, he brought up this, that, this scene, right, where she confronts him. Like, before this, I just wanted to shout out to the moment of, like, when the um she's new and the guard, like, pats her down. And I thought to myself, oh, boy. <laughs> Um, like I thought, is he gonna do something? And then I thought, like, okay, he's not. And then, like, nope, no, he he like wants to search her more, and she and he feels her up, and so obviously she kicks his butt. And so I was just like, oh, I knew it. I like I said it so loudly too because I was watching him in the thing. I'm like, I knew it. I knew he was gonna do that. <laughs> Deserved that though. I wasn't even surprised. I feel like that's like a trope nowadays. You're being searched, and someone gets a little too frisky. It's it's only interesting when it's male on male or female on female at this point. Because honestly, if you're a female and you're getting frisked, you're going to get felt up. It's almost a guarantee at this point. So I just kind of rolled my eyes and kind of like snickered when, you know, she kicked his ass. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it does, you know, uh, help illustrate like the fact that most of the other people in this are men and, and also, you know, the fact that they're so dismissive of like the fact that she's been put being put in early. And I think that like it, you know, there's definitely a contrast going on here between like the world of the crime world of, you know, Wilson Fisk that is, you know, predominantly white, predominantly male and, you know, Maya and her family and how like, you know, the grant, you know, in her family, you know, there's this clearly strong matrilineal, you know, presence where it's like her, the grandmother seems to be the leader of the family. And, you know, she has these powers from through her female line. Um, and I just think, you know, and the thing about organized, like organized crime is like inherently patriarchal, you know, it mirrors a lot of times like a heavily patriarchal family structure, where it's like, you know, you have the the godfather or the boss who's positioned as the father, and then everyone below are like the children slash soldiers, um, you know, who are subservient to them. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I get that it is, it is kind of a cliche to have like guy feel girl up and then girl punch him, but like, I don't know. I think in this situation, it had more menace than it usually does because it sort of emphasizes how, um, you know, how different she is from all these other men around. In more ways than one. Yeah. And I like that she's basically the final girl in like so many ways in like the best way possible. Like, literally held her own against Daredevil, which Fisk himself is like, oh, wow, you got away from him. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a biggie. Yeah. You know, so, and yeah. showing off her power. Yeah. And we see that, like, in Hawkeye, too, how it's like the tracksuit mafia is, like, overwhelmingly male. And then it's like, yeah. you know, all of them uh, have to listen to her because it's just like she is, you know, the top dog in the room. And it's like she is that powerful that she can like yeah she she can really command that and also yeah beat beat all these guys up if she wants to so um so yeah I think that's uh that's interesting but but yeah you're right she's like the fine that's interesting you say like final girl because like that's such a horror movie trope and I'm trying to think if there are like any kind of horror influences here um but uh but at the same time, I feel like if, if Maya was in a slasher movie, she probably just like killed a slasher within the first five minutes. So she'd be chasing the slasher in the in the first five minutes. Like the tables would turn so quickly. Yeah. Oh man, love her. And the fact that she just commands so much in, like you said, Caroline, a male dominated area, does it practically single-handed, by the way, that she manages to outrun Fisk's goons, take on the head honcho himself, rig up a train to explode, and just kind of use her own wits and skill to get herself out of these sticky situations. Makes her such a formidable foe. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I like, I like her showing men their place. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So satisfying. That's great. Um, but yeah, um, I think the other highlight from like, you know, the first episode, um, and also even in the second one is um is Biscuits and her interaction with her cousin. Like he's just like so pure <laughs> and adorable. Aww. And yeah. Like I I love how like down he is to kind of be a sidekick. 
he's just like truly yeah yeah and like just like i mean he i mean he just like clearly loves and adores maya too and like and it's just like protect him at all costs you know and it's interesting later how chula talks about like oh we gotta stop him maya from being a bad influence on him and everything and like you know, and, like, he follows her with the truck and totally trashes the truck, then he's like, Grandma's gonna kill me, and that was an amazing <laughs> scene also, <laughs> when he passes yeah. by his ground, they lock eyes, and he's just like, <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. it's also, like, I, I love the fact that, again, like, within this family, it's, like, they're, the, the women are, like, you know, either the bad influence who's leaving him astray, or, like, the one he has to be afraid of. Yeah. And, you know but like again i think that you know it's making a as i said i think you know there's a that's a definitely a commentary of a, again these these sort of contrasts and this this family structure um but also like yeah it's it's kind of it's neat to see how he fits in but also like it's kind of funny because it's like i don't know the whole like oh she's a bad influence and it's like you know he's like oh man she's so cool and it, i don't know i just think that's funny because it's sort of like that's usually how it plays out where it's like the kid is like they're cool and the parents like they're bad influence <laughs> yeah yeah but also like I think you know one of the things about him is he I feel like he kind of I don't know if he's like the the heart of the series but it's like he he's the one who sort of articulates you know what his grandma says is this idea of like nothing is too broke to fix like if you want it enough and you know I feel like that's kind of maybe you know an overarching theme of this series is like you know there is no maybe yeah it's like Maya is feels so so broken you know because of all this this loss she suffered and like this idea that like even if you think you are you know too broken to fix it's like you know someone is isn't going to see you that way or like you can get to a point where you see yourself that way if you care enough about yourself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that need for healing man um Okay, and then the last relative we haven't really talked about much is is Henry, her uncle Henry from her father's side. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, presumably the only one left from her father's side. We don't mean anyone else. I think that's from her dad's side. Yeah, yeah. Thoughts on him as a character? I I think he's interesting because it feels like he's definitely someone who's kind of trying to you know um his like a uh, her her dad talks about like walking between worlds and he's someone who sort of feels like he's trying to both like be in this kind of underworld and also you know have another foot kind of planted in like more you know within his community and within sort of more like respectable society um but you know i think it's also, it shows how, like, how difficult that balancing act can be, because it's just, like, this one factor comes in and, like, kind of wrecks uh, everything that he's kind of setting up and everything that he's gotten, um, you know, everything that he's trying to protect, you know, and it eventually he's able to help stop, you know, Fisk's uh, goons from, like, wrecking, wrecking the powwow, um, but it's, like, his, you know, his uh, roller skating rink, which is kind of a, a symbol of, like, you know, a more positive part of his life, I feel like, than the criminal stuff is, like, that gets trashed by the criminal stuff. So it's, like, yeah, I, I think with him, it's about this kind of contrast, about kind of trying to have it both ways and also try, trying to balance and trying to keep things separate and how hard that is to do, ultimately. Right. Yeah. Especially because, like, the first time we see him, 
uh, with Maya is he's he's I think the first moment we see him is when he's playing the music and doing the red light green light with the roller skaters right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's a very it feels very like civilian I guess (laughs) thing to do yeah and it's also like I think it's interesting how Maya is like you know this is dumb you've been playing this music since the 90s and he's like it makes people happy Mm. Jen were you gonna say something He's literally just trying to have his cake and eat it too mm. and I was just like bruh you're either in it or you're out you can't be both and if you're working for Fisk you're in it sorry yeah. you can't have nice things but I think this show sort of also shows like how hard it is to get away from that life you know because it's right. like and with Maya we see how she tried to get out and like sort of keeps getting you know, she's tried to get to, to go away a couple times and keep, you know, a few times. So it's like she keeps trying to go away and she keeps getting pulled back in, um, you know, going. I mean, go, going back to I mentioned the Godfather earlier. It's like whenever I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And like that's, you know, an aspect of of sort of, of like criminality. But also there's this sort of factor of like, you know, people who are already sort of vulnerable, already marginalized, getting preyed upon by organized crime and getting drawn in there. And then that leads to further alienation, further marginalization. And so it's kind of this, this vicious spiral, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause like with Fisk, it's like, she, you know, she points out, he's like, you, you know, she's like, you isolated me. And, you know, it's like, we know that at some level, you know, she was part of that. Like she, you know, she did that by when Bonnie reached out, like she didn't, you know, reach back, she didn't go home. Like that was an option she did have, but it's also like, how much did, did she feel that that was an option at that point? Like how deep was she in? And also, yeah, she's got, you know, Fisk is like kind of the, the devil on her shoulder, like whispering in her ear and being like, Hey, you know, I can, I can help you get revenge. I can help you like work out all those, all that anger you're feeling. Um, And sort of, and yeah, like keeping her isolated from, you know, from her family and from other people who could help. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, I feel like maybe that can be a good segue into talking maybe more broadly about um her relationship with, with Kingpin and just, you know, as, as we're peeling back on that and just like, um, and when he first shows up and he points out like, you know, hey, you, you were actually kind of relieved that I'm alive, you know, why is that? And like, um, and just like their whole, their whole thing. I mean, Thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, it's um, I, I know it's just it's, it's I don't know it's hard like it's hard to kind of sum it all up because it's like yeah. so you know it's so hard to say what they both feel like how you know she does I think she is relieved to some extent but also you know you pointed out earlier that's like there are different she could have shot him in a way that would have been you know given him like a more of a chance of survival and like. The way she shot him is something that like no one should have survived. So, you know, it's like she clearly shot to kill, but she's also kind of relieved when he comes back. And then it's also like, you know, then there's the question of for sort of when he gives her the hammer he used to kill his father and says, you know, go ahead, like continue the cycle or kill me now. You can be free. And she doesn't do it. It's like, you know, why is that? Is it because she cares about him? Is it because it is it because she knows that that's not going to like, 
you know, bring her dad back or bring peace? You know, is he, did he, you know, is he playing chicken? Like, did he think she was actually going to do it? Does he actually want to die? Or was it like, you know, he knows if she backs off, that means she's not actually going to come for him, you know? And then when it's like, he's talking about killing all her family again, is that actually, I think he probably means to do it, but it's like, I don't know, is that, you know, that's such an extreme reaction to like her walking away. Like, is that to some extent because he cares about her or, you know, is it just another manifestation of like, you know, he can only see things through the lens of like power and control where it's like, oh, I can't have someone say no to me. Like I, you know, I gave, I was going to give you everything and you said no. And like, I just cannot deal with that, you know? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Caroline. And like, there's so, there's so much going on too with just like how, how like his love is like so controlling and so based on like really unbalanced power dynamics and the lies between the two of them. Um, but then also like this really, really like heartfelt tenderness that you get like I mean like Vincent D'Onofrio is like an amazing actor um yeah and like I don't know just like the I mean when we see the flashbacks throughout like the series of you know I mean when he's when she's his protege in the first episode we get flashbacks of that um but then even when she was like just a kid um or even thinking about Hawkeye and you know the way he like squeezes her cheek and like there's just like so much softness there and it's like so disconcerting <laughs> when I remember who it is and like um, you know, but skipping ahead to like episode four, um, you know, um, Maya, when she's really young, you know, is trying to get ice cream from a vendor who just mocks her and like pushes her away. And, you know, and Kingpin watches this and he's like, let me just step out for just a minute and like beats the crap out of this guy, you know, leaves him like all a bloodied mess in the uh, alleyway, right? And then he turns and then it's Maya standing there and like, you know, and and like, it's interesting because like just before that, right, he wanted to change his suit because he didn't want Maya uh, to see him like that. Like, he didn't want to leave any evidence of like anything that could like, I mean, well, traumatize her and like make or maybe even necessarily not even about that. He's just thinking about like, I just don't want to look bad in front of her. And like, and then she's there and she see and she does something that like is so unexpected. She goes over and she kicks the vendor like he just she, he's already beaten into a pulp and she just like yeah just kicks at him and just like yeah you deserve that like it's like someone like you could tell like kingpin is like thrown off but also like i think i found someone who's just like me you know it's yeah. like oh yeah. yeah he definitely found an angry child when he himself was an angry child people like kingpin don't really love they think they do but it really does come down to power and control and I think in his own way, he does see Maya as like a daughter. But again, that's not real love. I, I swear. Yeah. He and Thanos need to take a class on what it means to actually love and not like use their quote unquote children as like weapons or whatever. And I think in uh, uh, Fisk's mind, he does like understand Maya and he feels that Maya understands him, that they're birds of a feather or whatever. And I think that's partially why he wasn't so pissed off at her when you know, she tried to kill him because even he himself says, yeah, I would have done the same. And I'm like, right. Yeah. But in the end, the fact that he did not love her enough to let her go like she seems to want 
that was when he loses control and i'm like yeah nah you don't love her it really is about control over your uh child slash weapon so yeah nah i don't think so dude there's another thing too though with like the asl you know he's been using it he uses like an asl interpreter um and then kills them off and like um you know and he's known maya since she was a child she he had all this time to learn asl and he learned some we like there's yeah um i mean there's a smattering of it in like hawkeye and in this series of him using it but like he like relies on technology and the contact lens to you know in order for them to talk without an asl interpreter but like later maya calls him out and says like if you really cared you would have actually learned asl for yourself and it's like preach maya call him out like it's like seriously see i care but it's like really because i feel like you just did the thing that required minimal effort yeah yeah seriously i remember being like kind of annoyed like watching kingpin i'm like okay after all these years he has not learned sign language are you kidding me like oh my god that's a deliberate choice i mean you've got people that maya hasn't spoken to in years who still do sign language like bruh no this is unacceptable yeah i don't know i mean i i feel like i well first of all like i think in terms of like this kind of relationship i think this is like much much better written than like thanos and gamora especially since like it i I mean hopefully some stupid magic rock is not going to come around and tell us that kingpin really does love maya um you know even though he he doesn't but it's like i i don't think i think there is some emotion there i don't know if love i don't think love is the right word because yeah if you truly love someone you want what's best for them but like i don't think it's totally about power and control like i think there is something else going on um you know and but again that also has to do with things like for instance again did he actually accept the idea that she might kill him because like that's you know that's giving up control to to control to some extent like i mean unless we're we're going with this idea that he actually is totally invulnerable and he knew that if she like smashed him in the head he would survive but like right you know, I, I don't know if the show is actually trying to say that, yeah, he would just, it would just like bounce off of his head or something, <laughs> you know, but oh, I just, gosh. I asked, you know, I think that that's a really important scene in terms of asking that question, because like, if he believed that there was no way she would have done it, then he's playing a game. But if he actually genuinely was surrendering control in that moment, saying, go ahead kill me if that's what you want like i think there's something yeah there's something different going on there because like that you know that is outside his control like if he genuinely was giving that up to her to say you know like this is it you make the choice now do i live or die um but you know i don't know i don't know if he was doing that for real or if he was playing chicken i i think it's just uh yeah i i don't i can't come down I mean, I think, yeah, I definitely believe that, you know, if he did truly love her, there was other things he would do, but I don't think we can, I don't think you can totally rule out, yeah, some kind of emotion. Like, there's some, I think there is definitely something there. Um, Care, tenderness? You know. Twisted affection. Twisted affection, yeah. I mean, I also think like that, you know, his, the fact that he didn't want her to see him is really interesting because it's like 
in that case, did he beat the guy just because like he's a real angry man and that was like an excuse to let something out? Or it's like because he had a flashback of like himself as a child being hurt? Or, you know, was it just genuine, like real anger that Maya was being mistreated, you know? Like Well, yeah, that's I, I kind of took it as like he didn't like how Maya was mistreated because I mean like all I mean Technically, all the guy, I don't remember him actually, like, hitting her or anything, but, like, he, it's just, like, from a place of just mocking, it's, like, the verbal assault, you know, yeah. which is, which is still really bad, obviously, but, like, um, like, he just, I don't know, he just, he just seemed to really be angry about that specifically. Yeah, that's a good point, that, like, the way in which Maya is being hurt in this scenario is very different than, you know, this, the very sort of is like straightforward physical abuse that he got you know from his his father and like I'm, I'm not trying to like sound I don't want to sound like I'm not I'm not downplaying that um it's just like you know what's going on with Maya is different because it's like someone you know bullying a disabled child which is like very very gross um and you know this guy is awful but also there's this question of like so yeah, I think that's a good point that like it's very different than the harm that Fisk has has dealt with on his end. Um, because it's so specific to, you know, Maya and her, you know, and her disability that, like, he otherwise, you know, doesn't properly respect and that he doesn't bother to learn sign language. But it seems like something about this situation triggers a genuine anger in him. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, there's, their relationship is is genuinely so fascinating and multi-layered where you're like, and you can like you can see it kind of with all these different angles and all these different ways where it's like how much of it is genuine how much of it is just based on anger and just like how much of it is um you know feeling like oh I've just found someone who gets it so it doesn't matter like Mm -hmm. there's yeah I don't know there's there's a lot of different ways you can look at it and I think with every rewatch that like you make um there's a different way to to see to see them and like their dynamic together yeah yeah and like I really love that line you know when she's um you know when they're they're when you know he's talking about kind of about violence and she says like violence was always our language you know like you you know I I saw you as a hero and it's like I think that there's an interesting you know there's a there's a really interesting question there about like you know to what extent is violence justified you know when dealing with things like 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 the guy who's again who's bullying her it's like what he's doing is awful like he's bullying a disabled child you know that's really bad but it's like does he deserve to get beaten to a pulp for that you know what does he deserve like who what does he deserve for what he did and who gets to decide that you know and like I can see how you know Maya as a child I'm sure felt very powerless it's like she you know, she lost her mom and she blames herself. Like her grandma isn't, you know, cut her off and to some extent is blaming her. You know, she just has her dad now because she's been taken away from the rest of her family. Like, you know, I think she she must feel very, very powerless. And like, he kind of shows her a way to feel in control again. Um, you know, and like, you see that and it's, and it's like, on the one hand, it's really scary to see like a little kid be like, yay, this is fun. But also it's like, yeah, you get how, you know, little kids have big feelings and they feel, and they don't just like, 
you know, they're not just happy all the time because a lot of little kids have been through a lot of bad stuff. And also like they, you know, and when you're that young, it's hard to, you know, take yourself out of the situation or find coping mechanisms or find things to do. So, you know, I'm sure I can definitely see where she would see that and just be like, yeah, get him. Like he, he hurt me, you know, make him hurt too. Like this is cathartic, you know? So yeah, that scene is just so fascinating. Yeah. Ugh. And like, I don't know, just like his knuckles being so bloody and like her taking that hand and it's just there's a oh just the visual of that is like yeah I love, I love that imagery of like this huge hulking dude covered in blood and this like adorable little girl with the pigtails like you know just that little girl is so cute i just have to say like oh my gosh right adorable i, think... I thought i heard somewhere that um that's that um she's um that that like the younger version of maya is played by alakwa's cousin i i need to double check if that's legit or not that's what i read too that that's alakwa's cousin yeah okay so much like her yeah no i was like it looks so much like her that really feels like it and i'm like oh okay it's like actual family resemblance that i'm seeing okay <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely would have been surprised if they weren't related yeah cutie pie yeah 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 um yeah well okay um i'm i will talk more about like her and and fisk later i'm sure as we were talking about the finale and everything but um yeah i guess just going back to well unless there's anything about episode one we can move on to episode two um yeah so like the um the flashback in this episode well actually okay um so i wanted to I don't know. I'll I'll put that aside. Actually, um, I have a thought about like flashbacks and like the ancestors and everything, but I want to bring that up in the third episode. So, um, but yeah. So in this episode, though, it's it's um, Choctaw Stickball and like um, and it's like that, and I think that it's it was a the victor like was the one would be the one to like got got to stay on that land or something like that. I think I remember there was like yeah, higher stakes than just team, a game. Yeah, yeah. The losing team was exiled, just flat out. I'm yeah. just like, okay, whoa, <laughs> okay, chill. Like, I don't know what that was all about, but yeah, I, I would, I would uh, put in a lot of effort to, to stay rather than try to brave the elements. No, thank you. Yeah, and like, I think this is a, I mean, well, this is obviously the second time we see it in action with like, in terms of the glowing, her hands glowing, and like getting an idea of how. Like they only glow when in times of great need, right? Um, actually, the concept of you know harkening back to like your your ancestors from the past and like their skill sets and like the glowing. I hope it's not terrible for me to like make this comparison, but it reminded me of Avatar: The Last Airbender with like you know thinking about like his. I mean, this is different because it's like reincarnation of the same person, but like you know in terms of like the glowing light effect and like and pulling back the knowledge and the memories and the power of like those who came before you it was i don't know yeah mm. i think i think that's a solid comparison um that you know like because yeah it's like similar iconography and also this idea of um yeah you're the with the, the avatars it's like you know the reason they can bend all the elements is because they're pulling on you know past selves who could bend different elements and so 
like, yeah, the idea of, of pulling, you know, being able to get the skills of the people who came before you and like the wisdom and the strength, like that's, yeah, I think that that's an interesting concept. And, you know, I'm sure it's not unique to, to this setting, you know, in terms of the stick ball, I'm curious if that's like an actual, like, you know, historical event, or if it's a, like a Choctaw tradition specifically, because like, I do know that in, um, in like cultures and civilizations that have like lower population density, where people are, you know, to some extent, like less disposable than they're treated as like high population density, uh, societies. Like, I think a lot of combat can become, you know, heavily ritualized. Um, and so, you know, to sort of like, engage in combat but also not to get too many people killed so i wonder if like this is what we're looking at is this form of like ritualized combat to decide an issue sort of without going into all-out war you know no that's a good point yeah i don't know i i would i would think that's a reasonable explanation for it but yeah, I mean, and but the fact that it's not like just a game, right? Because like the stakes have to be that high in order to warrant the fact that like Loak taps into this power. It's like she, it's like the high tension is the adrenaline, and then it like kicks in. Like you know, I mean, as Tula says later, right? Like the ancestors seem to know, you know, when we need them. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Because she's in a really vulnerable spot too, right? It's not like she's already winning. It's like oh, I'm going to push you to the finish line. You know, it's like things are not looking good. Like the the team was getting ahead, and like things were looking dire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Matter matter where she at was at, which was at her lowest point, which is like the the theme. It's like, oh, you're gonna die. Okay, let's let's pull you out. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) only then (laughs) will we step in. Only then, yeah. I wonder if that would ever be like something that I don't know Echo would have like you know that she'll have to do um, or like Maya's gonna have to do as Echo in the future like get to a point where she's like okay um, I'm not in enough danger for the ancestors to show up so I'm gonna like jump off a building and you know hope that they they show or like I don't know do something real dangerous to maybe put her in the position where she can like access the power I don't know. I... Yeah, well, hopefully it doesn't get to that, especially because, like, I mean, Kaloa, her mom, like, taps into that power, and she's not in mortal danger. She's just healing that bird. So I think there is a way to do yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Think good, about it. good to know. Good to know. I, I was a little worried for her. I'm like, wait a second. Is she going to have to almost die to, like, keep getting in? Or... Yeah, I, I don't know. It brings up interesting question that I think about with, like, Kaloa and, like, you know, because, uh, like, she's not in, like, a life-threatening situation Um, in that moment. We see her using the power. And I just wonder how she tapped into it and, like, why? And, like, I don't know. Part of me is also, like, why don't you step in when the, the brake lines were cut? <laughs> like, what happened there? Um, I mean, she does say that she gets, like, you know, certain, like, in information from the ancestors. So it's, like, she got bad vibes. But the problem is that they're just not, it seems like it's too vague to really, like, help her with some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a spidey sense, but ancestor sense. <laughs> yeah, but like basically, spidey sense. At least it's sort of like something that's in your vicinity. So it's like you're like, okay, heads up, like something's wrong around here. But like with her, it was just like something's wrong generally. But like, yeah, yeah. just like, yep. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I guess, I mean, that's all I want to say, I guess, about that particular flashback, though, with the, with the stickball game. Um, unless you guys had anything else to add. Uh, the only thing was I put a note saying Alabama used to be cooler. Hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So real. Oh, man. Oh, okay, I just realized now that uh, we're, we haven't talked about Scully at all. Oh, man, this guy. He's like, the, he's so interesting, you know, he's got like his own pawn shop slash repair shop thing going on for him. And I guess him and Chula were like together for the longest time. I'm a little curious as to what specifically broke them up. Mm. But I appreciate the, the fact that he's just, he greets Maya, just no real questions asked, is willing to help her make a new prosthetic after, you know, she gets it stuck in the train. No problem. And then... He's so like true to his heritage, but then you still see him as sort of a businessman through and through. And he was uh, trying to sell that couple the his touristy stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that that was an interesting scene where it's like he's kind of doing a performance a little bit, and like biscuits is also I feel like kind of performing in the way that you know he's trying to like make the sale. Um. So you know, it's a kind of an interesting you know look at like performing identity in order to like you know make a living um out of that and and also i mean although you know they do take shots at like you know white people and corporations who sort of treat you know all um you know indigenous cultures as the same because like they mention you know uh, he's like oh go over to anthropology they've got all the ethically ambiguous stuff and i'm like you know yeah, I'm like, yeah, that that was definitely that. Like, a, if several years ago, now anthropology, I have no idea what they have. They have no like identity anymore. Um, but you know, there definitely used to be a craze for like sort of pseudo um, Navajo or like pseudo indigenous looking like blankets and patterns. Um, but uh, but anyway, I thought that was kind of. I mean, that's it, within the the script. I'm like, you know, that was an, a fun scene. Uh, you know, kind of yeah calling that out but I'm also like I'm a little bit you know when it comes to you know the the actors from what I've read like all the actors who are playing these characters um I I don't think any of these like the main cast is actually Choctaw um they're all from like a lot of different indigenous nations and like um a lot of um these actors are Canadian so you know that's another aspect of like they're you know there's like this is specifically about like indigenous american experiences and these actors are mostly canadian i'm like i wonder you know does that say something about like the american film industry film and tv industry versus the canadian one because like as someone who's watched a decent amount of canadian tv i've kind of noticed that there's like quite a few shows where it's like all the characters will be white and there's like kind of one token indigenous character um and it's like hmm, that's kind of interesting um you know and it's like yeah, I just wonder, it's like, on the one hand, it's like, are there, you know, different opportunities for Indigenous actors, or, or they are they more limited? Because, um, you know, like, for instance, with Graham Greene, the actor who plays, you know, her grandfather, he's someone I mostly know from, like, a Canadian, you know, situation, sort of variety comedy, where, like, the character he plays is mostly, like, you know, they make, like, maybe one reference to, like, Dances with Wolves, because he was in that movie, but other than that, the character is, like, doesn't really ever mention the fact that he's indigenous, you know. Um, so anyway, sorry, a little bit of a tangent about Canadian TV. 
Um, but also Graham Greene is very funny on the Red Green show, um, if you ever want to watch it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm just like, I wonder, yeah, I think it says something about, um, yeah, if this, you know, this sort of, this cast and the fact that so many of them are Canadian, if that says something about the different opportunities in the different film industries or like if they're all kind of, you know, equally difficult, you know, and yeah, I'm, I'm just, I don't have like a real solid take on this if it's like something that is a major issue or if like they're, it's conflating a bunch of indigenous, different indigenous cultures to have these actors who aren't Choctaw playing Choctaw characters. But anyway, just, yeah, that was something I read about and I was wanted to kind of check in about that. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking about that too, especially because well, I mean, Echo in the comics is um from the Blackfeet Nation, and then Alakwa Cox is I forget what tribe she's from um, but it's not Choctaw and it's not Blackfeet either, and like I was wondering, um, well, I guess I just yeah, I was just wondering like, why Choctaw? Like I that's the thing. Yeah, I I I was wondering why that specific one and. I mean, why the transfer between the comic version and yeah, I mean, it is, it's something that like, I think, you know, Jen and I have talked about before in terms of like, you know, Latin American characters played, you know, played by, you know, and it's like different, it's like Mexicans being played by Guatemalans and Puerto Ricans being played by Salvadorians, you know, it's like, like this, like sort of hodgepodge, like, oh, you're Latino kind of thing. And like, um, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for that though. I'm not familiar with just like the casting world. Um, and you know, I'm not sure like how, you know, indigenous people of all these different tribes are feeling about that aspect. Um, like I think in an ideal world, it would be played by majority, if not all Chakta people, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have a good answer for that really. I know it's like, it's one of these questions where like, I see, you know, a bunch of different, uh, you know, different kind of perspectives when it comes to this, this question of like, how much do, does someone's background need to match the character that they are playing? Because it's like, you know, for instance, with, um, you know, if you're talking about like European actors, like European actors play, you know, people from totally different like regions and language and ethnic groups all the time. Um, and so I think there are definitely some people who have pointed out, like when it comes to either like, you know, uh, when people have asked this question, I've heard, I've heard people go, come back to be like, Hey, you know, there's not that much difference between like, you know, different people from different nations playing those different ethnic groups. Um, and like, you know, it, the question is like, is that, and I'm not saying that like, that's the only take, but I'm saying that like, that is a take I have heard. Um, when discussing this that like just being like in the right general region is kind of what you're aiming at but then I've also heard people being like no they have to be from the exact culture and the exact background and like you know I don't know where to come down on that because it's like on the one hand yeah I don't want to um, be part of this like uh, homogenization of like indigenous I mean I think this is a real especially a big problem with indigenous cultures where it's like there's this big people paint them with this huge broad brush and it's like no you're talking about like cultures that span like two continents like this is huge and they're all very different you know and I see you know even very well-meaning people will make these blanket statements about indigenous people and I'm like uh that, that's not accurate to like all indigenous people you know 
Um, that's like, maybe that's one group, maybe that's another, maybe that's your like romanticized idea of them, but that's not necessarily the case. And like, but also, you know, because there's so much variety and I only know, you know, little bits and pieces about different cultures. And like, I, I can't pretend to be any kind of expert on, uh, you know, these, uh, indigenous groups and like, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it like is the ideal to have everyone be from the exact nation or like, is it more of a case of like, if you have, you know, the experience of being indigenous, you can bring that to the role you're playing. And like part of acting is being a different person. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't have a clear answer for this because I think a lot of people have like different takes on it. So yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up. It's a, it's a good point. It's worth discussing. Yeah. But uh, okay, so in terms of the other things that happened in the second episode, I mean, we kind of talked already about Biscuits and like how he's helping out Maya as she's, you know, hijacking the cargo train, um, you know, and like that's the first time she, you like, inadvertently use, I think, right? It's the first time she inadvertently uses her like power, the hands yes, glowing. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, her prosthetic leg had gotten caught, you know? Yeah. So that's what kind of, like, triggered that in the first place. I'm trying to remember, though, if she noticed or if she just kind of was like, okay, I'm free. I'm out, you know? Yeah, I I think she's just like, right, like, act first, think never. Yeah. <laughs> like, that. act first, think never. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I got the sense that she could tell something was a little off, but, like, she seemed to be like, eh, don't, don't question it, just kind of roll with it. You know, it wasn't, yeah. like, I don't think she was like, okay, there's blowing stuff coming out of my hand. This is weird. It was like, okay, that seems strange, but like, eh, let's move, moving on here. Yeah. We got uh, something bigger to focus on here. I got to get out of here. The bomb is set. I'm going to be the new queen pin and I don't see biscuits. So I got to get him to find me again. So uh, moving pieces for her and I'm guessing in all the adrenaline and all the things that happened afterwards, she's probably like, eh, it was an illusion. I didn't have enough sleep. I, I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, like, but, it's like, Scully is the first one to kind of touch on, like, hey, you should talk to your grandma about it. She'd be able to tell you more. And, obviously, Maya's not going to do that. Um, and it's, it's so interesting to see the parallel between her and her grandma, too, because he, like, says to both of them, you should talk to the other person. Like, you you have some things you maybe need to deal with. And they're both like, she doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> it's like, oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Communication, folks. Come on. Yeah. But it's, and also, like, that does, that did feel very real, though. Because, like, I don't know, I've heard a lot of people talk about how, like, oh, man, if only the characters would talk to one another, this would be sorted out. But I'm like, well, sometimes in real life, a lot of times people are not good at communicating or they have reasons not to. And like, especially, I, you know, within families, if it's like, you know, people are falling into this pattern or, you know, have made these assumptions of like, you know, she doesn't want to talk to me. Well, she doesn't want to talk to me. And if you're, you know, Scully in the middle, he's just like, uh, you both need to talk to each other. Um <laughs> But also, you know, I really like when he says uh, to Tula, like, you know, maybe try listening for a change. Uh Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't think he says it quite as condescendingly, but like, maybe you need, like, you need to listen to her, you know, and like, like, that's a good point. You know, you you guys both need to talk, but you also both need to listen to each other. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of like the, their relationship, um, do, I mean, do we think what happened was, you know, to me, I kind of assumed that it had a lot to do with the death of their daughter, because like, you know, I know that that can be a huge thing for, for couples. Um, uh, yeah. well, is he like, I don't think he's actually like blood related grandfather. Like that's not, he's not Tola's dad, like biological dad. I mean. I don't think so either like they don't really specify that the, the most that they give us is that uh scully and chula were together but i don't know like how long and in what capacity if he was like a step-grandfather even or just like the boyfriend or whatever yeah yeah so, I mean, I'm not saying that that takes away from the fact that, like, losing, I, I just don't know how close he was to her, like, I, because it's unclear to me what exactly, I mean, he came to the family dinner and everything in the first episode, so, like, we assume that he's close to the rest of the family, but we didn't really see him interact with her a lot, so I don't, I don't know what their relationship was and, and, and like, how it relates to, like, him and Chula, like, I, I, I kind of picture Chula just being mad at the world and, and mad at him just you know just had mad at everybody and just like pushing them away um because of what happens to her daughter you know i think i think that she just is like i don't want to deal with emotions in general and you are and he seems the type who would be like who would say like you should like you know confront your emotions she's like forget that <laughs> breaking up with you you know yeah yeah mm -hmm. okay that's a good point because like i um I kind of assume that he was like a, a stepfather or or someone who was like, in, you know, in that role of like a father role. But, you know, that's a good point that he very well may not have been. And, you know, that could have been part of it. But just like because, you know, his relationship to her was not, you know, as close as her mother's relationship to her just by virtue of him, like not being her like father or stepfather, just like being, you know, uh, married, like either, you know, being a partner with the grandmother or with her mother, Maya's grandmother, um, families are complicated, <laughs> but like, you know, it could be that for him, it's just like, you know, it wasn't as profound a loss because like, that's not, you know, his daughter either biologically or in terms of, you know, the role he plays in her life. And so for Tula, it was like, it was hard to be, you know, with someone who didn't, um, feel that in the same way. Or, you know, it could be the way he deals with his emotions that, like, he's a, he seems like someone who's maybe more able to kind of walk off certain things or able to kind of, you know, roll with some punches. And, you know, for her, it's like she's she's hurting so badly that it could just be that it's like it was, it's frustrating to be around someone like that where she's like, you know, just stop telling me to like, you know, get better or, you know, think about this or like deal with my stuff. I can't deal with my stuff. It's too overwhelming, you know? Yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where I imagine the breakdown of their relationship happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, But, you know, I, I, I appreciate him being ready to help out Maya and to like, you know, and try to tie her back to her roots too, even with just like the the way he goes about like with the um the building the leg and the physical representation of her culture and like, you know, as he's talking about like um you know, the her descending from the first Choctaw woman, like there's a lot there in terms of like, you know, trying to 
help Maya to like reestablish her roots. Um, but that's the very thing she doesn't want. Like that's the last thing she wants to do. Like literally she says in the first episode, like I am just passing through, I'm here on business. Like I am, you know, in and then I'm out. That's what she, that's what she wants to do. She does not want roots. And, you know, here he is like kind of hinting at that. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah you're right. Like he's, you know, he's being, he's kind of gently, but like also like, leading her you know towards that that space of like you know hey talk like talk to your grandma maybe you need to hang around maybe you need to like you know look into that like you know kind of come back to um to yeah come back to your roots and like yeah I really love the the way he he crafts her um uh like the the plate for her prosthetic and then also when she's like yeah I don't don't like it and he's like well you could I could paint it matte black for you you know just rolls with it yeah so i think it's the one time i see her like joke and smile or like one of the few times we see her kind of like look amused (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. and like even then i feel like she she can't totally accept it she's like yeah my my, you know my my pants gonna cover it anyway so it doesn't matter but it's like she still she still wears it because it's important to her yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um and then i think the only other well, there was a couple other big things happening with like Henry and like the her uncle like confronting her about the attacks and like how you know they're they're gonna escalate and like he points out that like when you know she she does this like she hurts the people close to her, right? It's like it's not just it's not just about you; it's people around you. And like we see, I mean, she dismisses it at the time, but it does come back to bite her yeah yeah it's like you can't like take on a criminal empire in a vacuum you know yeah down right yeah and speaking of like uh not being able to be in the vacuum it's this episode that bonnie learns that maya's here which i'm like yeah that 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 news was gonna go around like there's no way it wasn't like you if biscuits hadn't said anything someone else would have it's a shock it took this long actually (laughs) Yeah, no, it's kind of wild if Maya really did, like, did think that she could, like, just fly under the radar and no one would know she was in town. It's like, Maya, you're like, you you got it. And I mean, you know, maybe, maybe that's actually something she was kind of, like, you know, subconsciously, maybe, you know, she told herself, like, oh, I'm just going to be here for a few days. I'm just on business. Like, I'm just passing through. But, like, it could have been that, like, part of her subconscious, like, wanted people to find out, you know. So again, that she didn't have to make that move, but hmm. yeah, it's very heartbreaking though. When Bonnie is like, I mean, that's, her uncle tells her that like it'll break her heart if she finds out that you passed through here and didn't even bother to say hello. Ugh. and just like the when she's looking at Bonnie from a distance. I know I already talked about this scene, but like it's just like so heartbreaking. Her watching, I know her from afar, and she's like, nope, yeah. Hurts, hurts. Pain. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Well. Yeah. Um. I guess then we can move on to episode three and talking about that flashback. So yeah. I mean, this one. It's like I mean, another one of those moments, right? Of like a woman in a very male-dominated space. Um. With like her ancestor Tuklo, and like she she's a great shooter, but like her dad's like, no, no, you're a woman, you're a lady, you can't do this, like you know and like and she's like well too bad i'm gonna do it anyway (laughs) 
yeah yeah i um i thought this scene was like was really interesting from i mean first of all like i i like the fact that they're you know again playing with like the style of the episode um how it's like you know the the first flashback we get you know is very kind of um sort of very kind of fantastical the second one is very much like a contemporary historical drama and then like this one is like a silent movie um so i i I enjoy again i just i like whenever a piece of media is kind of playing with the style and mixing things up um that's always fun to see um but also you know the thing i think that's kind that's cool about using a silent film is that you know to someone like silent film is a medium that's like more accessible to someone who is deaf or hearing impaired than you know a convent like a film that is meant to be understood through dialogue that's a good point yeah i mean i think stylistically i think this was my favorite flashback i just i love so much the you know the effect of like really feeling like i was watching a silent film and like because of that um you know you're really focusing on like the gestures and the facial expressions kind of like we were talking about earlier with you know Alakwa's performance um and with ASL and everything and like um yeah we don't we don't know like what anything like sounds like but you really get like the the visceral imagery of of the film and like it's interesting too because like it's in that smaller screen as well I don't know if you remember I don't know if you remember this but like yeah they changed um, the aspect ratio yes and then when she comes out and saves the day and saves her dad as they're surrounded, it goes back to the wide screen. Yeah, yeah. No, that was a really neat effect. Um, but but yeah, I I think that like, you know, I have a soft spot for silent film because I feel like for, you know, for a long time, and I think still for people who, you know, who don't look at it, I think silent film is treated as this like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, like a before version of film, like this was an kind of an imperfect step on the way to film becoming, you know, f- full color, full sound, you know, what we're used to seeing in movie theaters today. And it's like, you know, it can just because it's an earlier form doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't have merit or it doesn't have things that it can bring. And part of that is like, yeah, you know, it's like to someone who is um, either hearing impaired or deaf, it's like that's a form that is not meant to be experienced as, you know, something that you hear. Like it's all based around, um, you know, the physicality of the actors and the like little, you know, few lines of dialogue that are written. Um, But also it's like silent film was a lot more international than film became after sound because it's like, you know, you could screen like a Charlie Chaplin or a Buster Keaton movie anywhere in the world and people would get it because it's physical comedy or the reverse it's like you had films from other countries and film stars from other countries getting big in you know the united states and in american cinema because it's like you know if people didn't necessarily speak english like hey that's not a problem like you know someone can write title cards or like you know if a film's not in english yeah it translates real easily because it's like language is always going to be part of like the visual storytelling so you know, I just, I thought that was really neat. Um, and like, instead of, it wasn't just like a stylistic departure for its own sake. It's like, it's very focused. And I think all of these styles have been to illustrate a certain, you know, something about these characters. So, so yeah, I, I just, I really like the flashback a lot. I think it was also my favorite flashback. So. Yeah. If, if anything, I. Oh, mine too. 
Yeah. Um, oh, brief aside to um, you mentioned hearing impaired. I think the preferred term is hard of hearing. Um, but like um, that aside, though, I wanted to say like more about this this particular flashback. It it made me actually want like kind of. I mean, I don't know what this would have looked like. I wish I like I was like, oh man, I wonder how much more they could have pushed the envelope for like the other flashbacks in terms of stylistic elements, especially because I don't know. I just was so obsessed with the transition between like the the change in aspect ratio and just like how it felt like such a different I mean it was it was a totally different genre. I mean if anything it kind of reminded me of WandaVision like from episode to episode changing the different eras, right? And the taking inspiration from different kinds of um shows. And like um I mean I don't know what that would have looked like or anything. Like I don't have any extra ideas. Um you know and it's not like um it's not like I think it's like a a bad thing. This one felt the most experimental to me, but I'm like ah oh, man it would have been really cool if they like push the envelope even more for the other ones. It's not essential or anything. It's just like a thought I had. Um, and again, I don't know what that would look like, but I think, yeah, I don't know. This one was was personally my favorite. Mm -hmm. Mine too. Well, I I feel like maybe I I manifested a little bit because it's like you know I asked for something like set in the eighteen hundreds, you know, with the uh, when like the Marvel version of the like eighteen hundreds, and I'm like, yay! I think I got I kind of got it. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Like, g give me, give me my Western. We can have Maya's ancestor in that. Oh yeah, Dude, totally. That would be so cool. Yeah, be awesome. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mean. Uh. I don't think there's anything more I, I want to say about the flashback, uh, or this particular flashback. But um, as far as like the regular episode goes, oh, I wanna, I wanna talk about. I mean, we talked the big confrontation. Um, when the when like kingpin's guys show up and like wanda is like taken hostage and everything and it's all because of henry's employee the smarmy um guy from the first episode that you're already like you're so sus vicky <laughs> so i just want to do a shout oh, out gosh. i don't want to do a shout out actually for this guy because he's played by thomas e sullivan who plays a major villain in the last season of agents of shield and like and so as soon as I saw him on my screen, I'm like, you again. <laughs> um, still the worst I see. Like he was one he's one of those villains um that you're like, oh, you're so annoying and like you're so much more of a problem than you should be. <laughs> um that's oh my the... god. <laughs> um yeah, no, he's like I have so many thoughts, but I will not get into it because this is not an Agents of Shield podcast, and also Caroline still hasn't seen the last season. <laughs> So I'm not going to spoil it, but um, it was just um, as an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, it was fun to to see that guy again, even if I also hated it because, you know, he was playing a bad guy. <laughs> well, oh, that's too funny. He's, he's good at playing really smarmy guys. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but anyway, yeah, I just and but like that, that was an interesting conversation, though, between him and um, Henry, where Henry's like, you still have time to get out of this, like. You really think they're gonna let you just walk away after this? Like, you know, he's just like, there's still time, and he's like, no, no, I'm just here to get my money. And he's like, so naive because I mean, he <laughs> dies the most brutal death in this whole series, in oh my opinion. My gosh, he totally did, and I loved it. You know, I'm thinking, even the two girls that he recruited to be with him obviously had more sense, surprisingly, because even they were kind of like, eh, whatever. But 
the fact that like he ran got shot in the back and the way he fell and then the blood ran down him like like tears or whatever was so gruesome and i loved it i was just like oh you know that was i know literally how i started my morning last week (laughs) (laughs) the best part of waking up is seeing someone get shot in the back and have blood running down his face I was a prick, a smarmy <laughs> prick. I was just like, ha, ah, loser. <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was very visual and gross. And the fact that he really thought he could get away with just, you know, give me my money. It was so pathetic. It hurt. It's so stupid, stupid. Like to think that, you know, a cr- like a, a criminal boss is going to just give you money and let you leave after you've given them information like that. It's like, oh, come on, my dude. Like, just, does does this guy, like, not watch movies or read books or something? That That's, like, the number one thing. Yes, you can tip off the boss, but don't expect to be rewarded for it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And Sorry, it's... Vicky. Bye. Yeah, I don't know, but I I like that moment with Henry where he really, I mean, you could tell how earnest he is. He's just like, please just get out of here while you still can. It's just like, oh, Henry knows what's up. And that's the, I feel like there's this like very fundamental decency to Henry too. It's like this guy who is made, who is, you know, who is a sleazeball, who has made this very, very stupid, dangerous decision. And Henry's still just like get out come on you know you don't need to die for this but it's like nah he's he too dumb he too dumb he too dumb to live (laughs) henry probably hired this guy thinking you know what it's it's a way to keep this guy out of trouble it's the most basic of jobs you know it's it's fine he'll do the most basic of jobs up up no no this dumb idiot's gonna die you know son get out Oh no, he's not. All right, bye bye. You know, ay ay ay. Henry, like, it's so funny because, like, you would think everyone in the criminal world would be like either pure evil or like somewhere between morally gray and pure evil. And then Henry, it's like he does shady stuff, but like not at the expense of other people, I guess, or maybe just not at the expense of his own little uh, town. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that that's, you know, that's very true to a lot of people who do end up um, in, you know, these, these kinds of roles or, you know, end up turning to crime is like a lot of times it's out of desperation. You know, it's because it's like, it's hard to find other things to do, or it's because it's like they're trapped in it, you know, via family situations or, you know, things like that. It's like, I can definitely see what could have, you know, driven him into this world and then again like once you're there it's hard to get out so right what do you guys make of um bonnie and maya's confrontation i mean they're finally talking they're in the same room together as they're you know held hostage uh well they're it's the only way to get them to talk because let's be honest if bonnie hadn't accidentally stumbled into that maya would have happily avoided her the rest of the show it was a very tense scene, you know, and not just because of the hostage situation, but I knew it was already going to be like intense just with the way that the two kind of looked at each other like, oh, you know, like for Maya, it's like, oh, shit. Oh, damn it. <laughs> We're like more than one way. And poor Bonnie's just like, 
okay, I knew you were back, but this still hurts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Poor Bonnie. Really? I mean, she even gets punched by, by Maya. <laughs> no, literally got punched <laughs> in the face, yeah. yeah she's like, I'm going to punch you. Nope. Like, that was like, the, like, barely any warning, and it was like, and she really clocked her, like. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, she did. I had to make it look real. I'm just like, really, Maya? <laughs> like, you sure you didn't want to just, like, take out your aggression on someone who symbolized your childhood, as we've touched on before? There wasn't a little bit of that going on? Yeah, yeah. It, All yeah. problems can be, can go away by punching them. Yep. Bonnie stuck around despite her being annoyed with that whole situation. Yeah, honestly, I kind of wanted more from, like, I wanted them to be able to talk again, because, like, Bonnie says, promise that you won't, like, we'll talk again. Like, they won't just leave, that you won't just disappear. And Maya does promise, but we don't really see them, like, interact one-on-one again after this. And, like, I mean, granted, like, a lot of stuff happens afterward. But, like, I I kind of wanted a little bit more of, of them and, like, the um reconciliation with that. I mean, like, I think it was important that she had the, had the major talk with Chula the next episode and everything. Um but like I don't know, I I kind of wanted a little bit more of, um, of her and Bonnie, honestly. Yeah, same here. It's like I kind of wonder if, you know, if it's like if it's an issue in that, you know, it's too open ended, or if like maybe that's part of it is because like they didn't necessarily want Bonnie to just be sort of have a straightforward scene where like Bonnie forgives her, um, because like I think Bonnie has a right to be very pissed, you know um you like she was reaching out for years and like you know she didn't come back she showed up and she didn't want to talk to her she like like you mentioned basically you know punched her kind of unnecessary my I think kind of unnecessarily because she's mad at the whole scenario like uh yeah I I think Bonnie has a right to be pissed and like I I kind of wonder if it's like on the one hand I I think it would be sad if Bonnie like gets to a point where she's like, I don't forgive you, but I don't think she's there. But I also don't think she's maybe ready to, maybe that's it. Like maybe that's why we didn't get closures because Bonnie's maybe not ready to, to have closure, which like, again, I think is is fair for her, but maybe not. I mean, maybe it's just something that's kind of missing, but. I feel like it's kind of missing because we see have that ending scene in at the very end of where she's hanging out with her whole family at the end and everyone seems happy. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Hmm. I feel you're like right. there was a missing piece for me. You're right. I think you're right. I think the problem with that scene is that it does kind of imply Bonnie's like okay with it. And I'm like, I, I think she has a right to still not be, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I it, it just it had that like the the ending in general, I well, I guess I'm skipping a little bit, but like the ending, like the very, very ending felt like a tad bit rushed. And I think it was just like I, I could have used like an extra scene or two, not a whole episode, <laughs> additional episode. No, 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 no. Just no, like an yeah. extra scene or two. Like I'm just like, I, I think I needed to let I don't know. There are certain things that need to breathe a little more for me. Um, but true like the uh, Bonnie in particular, I think is is my sticking point, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think the that's one of the sort of other scenes that the ending could have used. I think like the ending, I think her just kind of going back to the family is a little bit too neat. You know, it's like, I think if they wanted it to be open-ended, I think it might have just having her on the road, you know, might have felt a little bit more like, you know, open-ended. But uh, but yeah, it just, yeah, I felt like there could have been a few, there, there needed to be a bit more like in the aftermath of like the big fight. So yeah. 
Like I blinked and it was over. <laughs> so like that was kind of my experience <laughs> as a viewer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, okay. Speaking of like family confrontations though, like what are your thoughts about like her? I think we kind of touched on already with like Chula and just like the anger that both of them were feeling. Um, but how are, how are you feeling about like their relationship by the end of this series? Um, got a shot now, I think. It's going to take some time, but I think they're on their way. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's again another example of like the, the ending kind of implies that they're good, but I think, you know, there's still definitely places to go because it's like Maya, you know, even though they definitely had a breakthrough when they talked, it's like Maya also kind of does get frustrated and storm out, which is like, again, I understand where she's coming from in that position. Um, and it's like, after that, you know, I, I hope that it's not like, oh, we all have the power and we all have these generations and stuff. And like that, that because of that, we're good. Um, when it's like, yeah, it's still much more complicated than that. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not, that's another one that maybe feels like a missing scene because I'm not totally sure where they are at at this point, but. I mean, like, I think, <sighs> I think the the fact that like I mean I didn't catch this the first time around but like that after that Chula this is when Chula starts to work on like the garment that Maya will wear in the finale afterward um and like I I'm I just wondering what the thought process was for that right of like I mean it reminds me actually of um in Miss Marvel when like uh Kamala's mom makes her her new her costume right and like um yeah it's like I am supporting you and this is a way that I'm showing it I feel like it's kind of a similar idea with Chula I don't know there's at least more work that the grandma did on her end that makes it feel a little bit more complete um at least compared to the Bonnie and Bonnie thing for me anyway I mean for me the issue with the costume like on the one hand I really love it um but it's also like I wonder what it's specifically for because like with with Kamala and her mom um it's like it, it felt very complete because it's like the you know their story kind of starts out with her wanting to go to like adventures con and her mom you know coming up with a costume that doesn't like work for her um even though it's like their her parents are clearly trying to like you know get into this thing that they her, their daughter's into that they think is kind of weird um but like so when it comes full circle and when she helps you know make her a costume that really like fits her and her personality it feels like that's more of a breakthrough whereas with this I'm just like I'm I'm curious to know what she felt that the costume was symbolizing for Maya you know like what she wanted Maya to take from it yeah that's a fair point I mean because I don't think she really intended it as like a say like superhero suit or anything but like i mean maya wears it to the powwow festival so i just wonder if it's like if she means it as like a way to like say welcome to the community i want you to be a part of you know this this ritual this tradition and to be a part of like people here and like to be a part of i mean because well actually the other thing that i'm i'm realizing just now as we're talking uh, they have a whole thing about like Tula and like she used to have a booth at the powwow right like she used to sell uh -huh things um like she made things with her hands that she's a very creative person and but then she hasn't done it in years and this is I think the point they're trying to get at is like like she like 
I mean, I don't know when she stopped because I, I was a little bit confused on the timing with that. Like, was it, it felt like it, like she had stopped only a few years ago, but if it was like, but if it happened around the time that like her daughter died and like now she feels like she can pick that up again, you know, because she has had a, this connection, this breakthrough with her daughter's daughter, like, you know, I mean, it, I, I, again, I don't know if, I don't know how the timing of when she stopped making things, you know, and like work like again I don't know the timeline thing but like in any case though she hadn't done in a while and like it was after this moment that she reconnected with her her heritage and like her art and like was you know pretty opening a door for Maya to you know take part in that as well I don't know that's the thought that's coming to my head now is like that piece is coming together for me because I I it was in the background like oh yeah Chula had that you know she used to sell things and she used to make things and that she doesn't anymore but now it's the first time that she's making something again in a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's more individual than like necessarily Maya about Maya. I mean, but other than like, you know, inviting her again to be part of the community. Um, but that's that's as far as I can take it with that. Yeah. Like that's something I was kind of turning over in my head as well as sort of as I was thinking about, you know, what that symbolizes. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point that um you know, for her, she's, this is something she hasn't done in a while. And it seems like she's been, she's been sort of pulling away and it it may not necessarily be right after her daughter's death, but it, it seems like it all, it's all connected in terms of, you know, it's like, and maybe it's part of this sort of spiral where it's like, she loses her daughter, which leads to her pushing away her granddaughter, which, you know, that fracture maybe is part of the reason like, you know, she and Bonnie don't seem to be especially close at this point. I kind of wonder if like that was part of the reason why, you know, maybe their relationship isn't the same. And then like, you know, she's not with, um, with Scully anymore. And it's like, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if it's like gradually she's been getting kind of more and more isolated, you know, um, and this is her stepping back toward like, her family and I mean she's clearly like you know a integral part of the family and like she clearly interacts with like biscuits a lot but it's like I wonder if it's like this is her yeah stepping back toward these connections that she's um you know lost because like for one of the big things about her making the costume is her going and getting the sewing machine that she pawned and she you know that like uh he he didn't sell because he knew that she'd want it eventually she'd want to get get it back at some point um so that's kind of symbolic of like something that she gave away and she tried to like you know she tried to leave behind but it's like then you know she came back to that part of herself so yeah yeah I think there 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 were thought there I think there was thought in in terms of that kind of connection um in terms of like the garment what it meant um but yeah I think they probably could have used one more scene with her and Maya just to kind of connect that connect that a little bit more make that a little bit more solid but yeah um hmm. anyway okay well so all right so Bonnie and, and Chula uh aside um right we're going back to to Kingpin and like he you know wants to start up the Sunday dinner tradition and I think Maya says something like it's Thursday <laughs> killed me um so good <laughs> like okay like 
you know, she doesn't like snark super often, but when she does, like she slays. It hits. Like it hits so it good. Hits. <laughs> really? Um, so like she, I mean, and she dumps the wine in like the sink and like the super expensive wine, and she's just like Oh my gosh, I love that scene. And like the look on his face when he's like, that came highly recommended. I'm like, oh <laughs> something about that is like so I don't know what about that was like so funny to me. But like, yeah, her dumping oh. the and also just the way she she tells him, like, I dumped it out. Like I know, right? Like, doesn't even try to hide it. Just like, no, I dumped that out. I I, I don't trust you. Like, a part of me is, like, she partially did that out of spite and partially out of mistrust because I would not drink or eat anything the Kingpin gives me. Right? Yeah. that's not, That was my first thought of why she did that, but I think it was mostly spite. Yeah. Yeah. Truly pulls out the, the Coca-Cola, like, uh-uh, we're doing this my way. If you insist on having this Sunday dinner on Thursday, <laughs> we're having my drink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love her so much. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, like, with, with you know, Kingpin revealing this big secret, because he talks about his father earlier, and then, she, like, and then he does the big reveal that, like, you know, his dad died when he was young, and he was the one who caused his death, you know, because of the abuse that he did again, you know, beating his mother, and, like, um, yeah, and, like, when she doesn't do it and he you know and he repeats his invitation to come back um to come back to new york right to like take her back in the fold and then like when she doesn't show up he like you can see he totally loses it right and like oh it's it's chilling that that ending for episode four i mean mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, like it's the whole element of control, right? It's like he thought he had her under his thumb, and then when it turns out he didn't, that his manipulation didn't work, he he just gets pissed off, like, right? Of, yeah, yeah, no, it was definitely there was definitely an aspect of his relationship to her that's about controlling her. Like he really pisses me off as a character. Like I love him, but I also hate him. Seriously, when um, when he gives her the hammer, you know, like, hey, finish me off or whatever, the way I finished off my father. I remember, like, in the very first episode when he was manipulating Maya about, like, losing uh, her father. He's like, I, too, lost my father. I'm like, yeah, because you killed him. I watched <laughs> that episode, fool. <laughs> that is really interesting, the way he reframes that. But it's like... I, again, I also wonder, I'm always wondering with him, like there's, all, there's always these different interpretations. It's like, is it possible that, you know, even though he hated his father, there was still some aspect of grief, you know, that like, I, I mean, people can have very complicated feelings about abusive parents. Um, oh, yeah. And it could be that there is some part of him that maybe does feel grief or guilt or, you know, maybe just grief at the idea of like, it. I wish I had a father that I loved, you know? So it could be that there's like a, that's the thing is I just always wonder like, is there within his sort of manipulations, like how much of it is him sort of turning something real into something he can manipulate or how much of it is like, he thinks he's coming from an honest place, but it's like, 
hey, there's always this edge of like controlling the situation that's part of it, you know? Um, because again, it's like with the dad situation, it's just like he he knows what it's like. And we see in that that ending scene is so great of like her putting him back into like his childhood self of like what it was like to be a you know a scared little kid who felt like they couldn't do anything about this violence you know um it's like yeah it's just like he just keeps going back there and he keeps going back to that room um and he keeps like taking that violence and putting it out into the world on other people right um yeah i actually well let's 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 talk about it then since you since you mentioned it so we've talked a lot about it like with the our reviews of other marvel shows about like how so often they end in like cgi battles right um i think sacred invasion might be one of the worst ones but like you know it's it's kind of like you know it's like oh the the big fight scene and there's like i guess i mean there's a little bit of that but like you know in terms of like what actually like resolves this confrontation with with kingpin is you know after um maya has experienced a really healing moment with um the spirit of her mother and like connecting with i mean the echoes of her ancestors right and that being i love the that bringing the new meaning to her you know moniker as echo as well um but like you know after she's experienced her own healing um you know through through her mother and like the emotional healing and like being able to you know she was able to confront the trauma of her past because of the trauma of like her her mom's past you know, her mom's death um and like her guilt about that and her sadness about that and her anger about that and being able to be embraced so lovingly right and like being able to to face what happened and acknowledging that what happened and like letting herself you know release it um you know or loosen her grip on it at the very least and like you know and then being able to like turn that around for him and and for her to you know take him back to this place and you know um and the trauma that he he felt and like you know but like it's not just about like you know she doesn't do it for the sake of like yeah suffer from with your worst memory right like that's not where she's going with it like she she's like you know you know put down that hammer like let it go let it drop and like I mean there was a second where I'm like is he actually gonna do this and like honestly I I don't know I'm glad it didn't go there because I think that would have kind of pushed believability for me of of, in terms of like a redeemed kingpin but I loved her for trying yeah yeah I I totally agree because like I, I think it's important you know, in talking about these kinds of stories uh, where there's uh, someone trying to reach out to someone else and like trying to bring them around and trying to get them to let go, um, you know, that it's like when it does for some characters, when it does work, it can be very satisfying. And it would be nice if like that was all it took for people. But it's like, I think there are, there are definitely some people who are just too far gone down, you know, that path and who like, you know, are not going to, you know, can't go back or, or aren't able to, or for whatever reason. And I think, yeah, with Kingpin, it's like, he's never going to be able to put that hammer down. Cause again, it's always about, you know, I felt 
small and weak and out of control and I'm going to keep reasserting, you know, again, violence and violence made me feel better. I'm going to keep reasserting violence and control over the rest of the world. Um, and I mean, I don't think it's total, it's entirely that. I think it's also just, you know, part of it, I think with the whole being a kingpin thing is like, power must be pretty intoxicating, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I've never really had much power over anyone else. I can't make anyone do anything, but like, <laughs> same, you know, I'd imagine that it would be really hard to give up. And also, you know, where would he go? Like if, you know he's got this power he's got this money he's got this lifestyle you know he knows what it's like to lose some of that um but it's like what would how could he go back from that and you know and again if if he were a better person if he would a different were a different person he could find something but there i think there's a part of him that's just like no this this life is working out for me in certain ways um and or this is like this is what i know this is what i do you know, so yeah, I, I, I think if, if he had actually been like, you know what, I want to be a good dude now, I think that would have been hard to buy. But yeah, it's like, it's great that she, she tried. And it's also, I think that there is, there's something very noble about trying when you don't necessarily know if you're going to succeed. Um, and also just like, again, even if she, she really thought she could change him, like, I think even if you don't succeed, there is something noble in in trying to, you know, reach out that hand and trying to, you know, help someone who has hurt you in that way. So, yeah, I I really love I really love that scene. And I really love that that's the, the kind of the linchpin on which this whole thing turns, because it's like it just it really comes back to that relationship between these two people. And, you know, and also, but at the same time, like so much of the focus of the final episode is on community, you know, it takes place during the, like during the background of this is the powwow and Kingpin is bringing all these white dudes in with weapons to try and, you know, disrupt this ritual, mm -hmm. this, you know, this community event, um, this tradition and ends up the community pushes back. It's like Henry, you know, shoots one of the guys and, biscuits has his moment with the truck and right <laughs> so good uh, yeah Maya and the women in her family you know take out all these goons so it's like yeah he tries to just to wreck this community and the community pushes back and and wins the day so but again not in a big cgi battle but in like sort of one-on-one -on -one personal like little fights that involve you know everybody so yeah yeah, I think that Henry's confrontation with Zane, I think his name is, was especially, like, like I was especially relieved because, like, you know, I mean, with, with living in America, right, and all the shootings that happen all the time that are so horrible, mm -hmm. right, and, like, it just really brought that to mind, like, seeing him, like, train his weapon on that entire powwow as it's happening, and, like, to see him thwarted, it was just like, oh, <laughs> you know, yes, uh -huh. yeah. Such a relief yeah 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 and then also you know like one of the one of the things that was some of the things I, I keep thinking about of like you know the fact that I really do love superhero media but I'm also like you know someone who hasn't been into it for that long and also is like very aware of like a lot of the criticisms of it you know one of the persistent ones is this idea of like it's a power fantasy you know it's about one person who's special who gets to make decisions for everybody else and like 
I think this finale really kind of flips that on his head in that it's like Kingpin is the one person who has power, who is trying to like use, you know, pure sort of violence to enforce that. And Maya has a different kind of power that comes from her ancestors, that comes from her family and her community. And so that's why they are all involved in stopping him. And like, she doesn't do it alone. Um, yeah. So I, th I, I really like, again, with the finale, like I agree that there's like a few scenes afterward that, uh, that we could use, but I, I did really like the conclusion where she, it all ends with her taking, you know, Kingpin back into his past and like trying to reach out to him. And also I think it's interesting her calling him her uncle, um, mm. you know, like it kind of extending to him. It's like, you can be part of this family if you want to. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, even though she offers him the thing he wants is to be her family, he doesn't take it, you know, cause like- It's not like, on his terms. Yeah, it's not on his terms. Exactly. Yeah, and, she's not coming back to New York with him like he wanted. Right. And okay, so the other thing too, I was thinking about the fact that he took Chula and Bonnie captive, right? And like the obviously there's like the stakes are higher emotionally with that and like their lives are in danger. Um and but like also like I don't know, I mean, just like his his conversation with Chula when she doesn't realize who he is is so chilling. Oh yeah, and like you, because especially because you know what's coming, but like something I was thinking about as you were talking about Kingpin earlier, like we never find out why, what exactly his reasons were for ordering um, Maya's dad's death, uh, ordering William's death, um, and part of me is like, whoa, what if, like maybe not even consciously, subconsciously, he was jealous of. Maya's dad and wanted to be the only father figure in her life. Ooh. And dude. like and like he wanted to like eliminate Chula and Bonnie, like the other like biological family that she's recently reconnected with. Just yeah. Putting it out there. Yeah. Dude, I could totally I mean, see that. That I had not put those two together, but like that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, like, you know, what he's doing with um with chula and bonnie and saying he's gonna kill her family like i mean that's very clear you know uh, i mean that's the thing is again he's you know he is like so many of the things he does are like very clear abuse tactics like part of that is like you know a lot of times abusers you know will get angry if the person that they're abusing like has other people who they can draw strength from and get emotional you know support from and so you know, with particularly violent abusers, it's like sometimes they will lash out and they will kill um, those people or they will hurt those people or they will threaten that in order to, and I mean, you know, I also wonder, it's like, would he have gone through with it? Or if it's like, he's actually, you know, he's like, oh, if I threaten them, then she'll see, then she'll come back, then she'll be mine, you know? <laughs> um, but like, yeah, that's, that's something, again, that's the very sort of clear abuse of like, you know, get rid of the other people in someone's life, keep them isolated, keep them dependent on you. So yeah, I think that's, again, that's so fascinating because I do, I think you're, there must have been some aspect of that in in her getting, in, sorry, in him getting rid of her dad. Um, but I wonder if it was like actual conscious, like, 
you know, she's never going to love me as a dad if like her dad's still around or if maybe it was like there was something where it's like, hmm, if I got rid of him, that, you know, would accomplish this specific goal. But like maybe maybe it was to all for the purpose of like further manipulating her, further driving her away from family, you know, getting rid of her support, getting making her more angry and more, you know, hurt so that she could be more, uh, more pliable and he could, you know, have more uh, leverage on her. Mm -hmm. So insidious. And I hated even bringing it up, but I'm like, it's there. It's there. Yeah. 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 Man, there's just so many, so many layers to this relationship. So So many many angles. Like it's like, it's like a, like a, a, like a precious stone that's been like, you know, uh, pressurized and like beaten down and now it's like you look at it in different angles and the light looks different and it shines different i am trying to come up with one of our metaphors here i don't know if i'm succeeding but i don't know if i want to compare like their relationship to like a precious stone you know well i mean precious stones have bad histories you know yeah that's true that's it's true. like a conflict blood diamond. diamond the blood diamond <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> Yeah. Okay. Well, just I since we're on the topic of um, Kingpin, maybe we should just top it off with the very ending we see um, of him on the plane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, okay. So like, he is. I mean, kind of shell shocked after like what happens with Echo, and like you know he's. I mean, he's beaten down. You know, and like. Uh huh. Um. You think? Oh man. Uh, you not not like. And just like ah, oh, you know he's he's down for the count, and then, like you hear the reporters gabbing, and they're like, oh yeah, we need like somewhat like a bear, like no one's gonna come out of this like you know frenzy of like politicians fight each other like for the I think it's for the mayor position right in yeah. in, in New York, um exactly right a bare knuckle brawler would do well in this race an outsider oh someone who's not afraid to take on the establishment and you know we live in America. You know, you know the re- the reference they're making here. They know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think Kingpin might be a lot more competent than a lot of the like evil politicians we have running around right now. I hate to say it, but yeah, uh, Kingpin is the mayor in some of the comics, especially the Daredevil comics, but even in the other Marvel uh comics for other other characters he's the mayor so i'm just like oh we're getting into that saga all right here we go matt murdoch is not gonna be happy no matt murdoch will not sleep (laughs) (laughs) never did never did he continued (laughs) not sleeping (laughs) oh i know mad yeah but yeah it was just like i'm like oh the chills again given another path forward to take control over other people since he couldn't get control of maya yeah yeah he's just he's doubling doubling down like doubling down exactly i just kept thinking to the reporter shut up shut up shut up <laughs> <laughs> you're Someone giving off the tv idea. stop, stop <laughs> giving kingpin specifically ideas <laughs> no 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 more tv for you <sighs> yeah yeah, so that's definitely going to lead into that, whether it's in a Daredevil or 
Heck, I'm not, I'm wondering if they're even going to bring him back for any of the other movies or TV shows. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the next Captain America movie, just because I feel like uh, Sam and Bucky are going to face a couple of political stuff. And I would not be surprised if you see Kingpin's mayoral campaign going on in the background or something. Dude, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think he's definitely going to be in. Uh, I think the next Daredevil project is called like Born Again, um, or maybe Man Without Fear. Um, I need to double. I should Born Again. It's it's, it's Born, Born Again. Again. Yeah. Okay, I was right the first time. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm like he'll definitely be in the new in the Daredevil thing, as we've alluded to. You know, Matt Matt's not going to get any sleep um or any more sleep than he already got which was none never got sleep you have to <laughs> literally sleep. knock him unconscious uh, poor baby aw, matt is running on negative sleep um, uh but uh but yeah it's like he'll definitely be in that but yeah i'm curious to know where else he might pop up i mean i think it seems like captain america it's in center a lot of captain america brave new world it seems like it's going to be very focused on the government um with like i think general ross i think mm. betty ross is coming back and then there's like you know uh, uh julia louis dreyfus um uh, valentina like she's she's up to stuff so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting i think kingpin would be an interesting kind of adversary for them or someone interesting to throw into the mix there so hmm. yeah well, we'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm interested to see where they go with that for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, anything else about the finale, about the characters, about Maya that you guys want to talk about here? Um, I I mean, I have like some final like odds and ends about the series overall, but yeah. Um, okay. Um, so odds and ends. Um, I really like some of the music choices. Um. Oh yeah. The title, the opening title in the song, one of the best oh. openings. I usually oh. skip those so and I never skipped for Echo. Yeah. So good. I have a new favorite song now. Yeah. And it's like, I think sonically it's interesting because it's like usually in music kind of like anger is represented by like sort of, you know, la like yelling and like deeper tones and like the yeah, yeah, yeah is kind of like do this higher pitch sort of almost like a scream um which is like i don't know it's really interesting in terms of like pairing it with with maya and also with sort of like uh yeah this like the the lyrics about like you know fire and you know burning stuff down and it's like uh yeah i i, I just think it's a really cool it's a really interesting choice um but also like I think it's you know a lot of times like when I talk about like you know the anger in music it's like we often associate that with like male artists mm. uh, projecting that and like this is an example of like um you know with a sort of like this specifically like with female vocalist you know expressing that and so I don't know I think that's cool of like you know female rage um and then uh Let's see. Another song I really liked was the rendition of Down to the River to Pray they use. Oh, um, yeah. That was good. I thought that was really beautiful, and I like like pairing that with her at the actual river. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And 
you know, some of the lyrics too of sort of like being, you know, needing to sort of like see the way and like, you know, she's at a crossroads. So um, I think that was neat. Um, and then the other one, I don't know how symbolic it was, but it just sounded really great with the fight is like uh, Dragula um, in the uh, the ra uh, roller skating rink. Oh, uh-huh. Guys. Yeah. It's a great scene. It also seems to be like diegetic. So it, it seems like they, you know, they hear it within the um within the context of the uh the actual setting. So I'm like, I wonder if part of the reason is that that she put it on is to like put on real loud music that is not gonna bother her, but is gonna put her opponents off uh, you know, is yeah. gonna the game. That's what I thought. I mean, yeah, I think like she's definitely using that to her advantage because everyone was just like super thrown off when she did that. And actually, that point reminds me of how like she throws away the the contact lens that Kingpin gives her. And like conceivably, I mean, I can't tell if she could have used it with other people to understand what they were saying. But it's interesting she threw away that technology enhancement that like could supposedly make it easier for her to navigate the world or whatever. But she's like, no, I do just fine without it. And she proves that, like, yeah, she can. <laughs> like, you know, it doesn't make some difference to her. And it reminds me of how she talked to Clint about, like, you know, you might be better off getting rid of your hearing aid. Oh, that's right, huh? Yeah. I kind of forgot about that little tidbit. Anyway, I'm sorry, Caroline, I interrupted you. Oh, no, that that was the, the end of my, my point about music. Um, okay. But I like them. I mean, I also like the soundtrack in general. Um, I I don't have it's. I don't know enough about music to say like much about that. But I think the um, I think the soundtrack in general is really solid. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, I also like uh, the in terms of the roller skating ring. I just really love the production design of it. Um, I just think it's a really neat set, and it's also a really cool place to have a fight. And I like the whole like using again using the environment. And also that, um, you know, fun houses, I think, are kind of that sort of fun house atmosphere is inherently kind of interesting because it's like it's something that's supposed to be fun, but it's also kind of scary. And so it's like it's a little discordant. And and so, yeah, uh, I just I think visually I, I don't have any good like notes. I'm just like, it just looks cool. I think it looks cool. I like the aesthetic. I like all the designs. <laughs> Skating rink is cool. It's a great set to have a big fight in. I like it yeah yeah um this is a random shout out but uh i don't know if y'all noticed in the last episode that maya passes through a roxon uh gas station like there's a symbol of roxon um Ooh, it huh yeah. you did yeah. notice it I, yeah. I i did i did notice that i'm like ooh, right they're still they're still kicking around from uh Last agent time Carter. I saw them was an agent Carter. Yeah. I think they should have been Cloak and Dagger too, but no one talks about that series and they shouldn't. <laughs> but anyway. Um yeah, yeah. So a little shout out to, to the evil corporation rocks on. Um yeah. Um and actually that reminds me like one one more thing that I kind of had questions about with the finale is that like what like Maya's aware of like that this really wants her to go back to New York and like I mean does she just not like comprehend like how much he's not willing to let her go that like she is just like chilling in a cafe when she realizes that her 
like that Bonnie and Tulu have been are missing. And I'm like, because especially because like Henry says, like, I'm willing to help you now. And it's like, okay, but then like she's not really doing anything at the beginning of the episode. And I'm like, is she thinking about what to do about Kingpin? Like, she just seems like she's chilling. Like, what where's the strategy, girl? Like <laughs> I just I, I don't know. I don't know if any if either of you thought that way, but I was kind of like confused. Yeah, I I think that that is interesting that she didn't think that he would come after her um her loved ones you know since he went to the trouble to like come and track her down and also like you know he he's done all this stuff to control her i i kind of wonder i don't know maybe maybe it's because again she still does have affection for him if maybe she gives him a little too much credit um mm -hmm. and thinks that like okay i said no that's gonna be it or maybe he just she assumes that like he's just gonna come for her or on her own and not her family members um so maybe i mean me or maybe she was trying to lead him away like she thought maybe if i leave he'll follow me and um i'll you know he'll he won't go after my family yeah That's you know I, I i think you got a point yeah yeah i guess i was just thrown off because henry is all saying that he's gonna help her and i'm like help her do what though <laughs> like yeah. i mean he does but like that's just not where like, I thought they were going with that. I don't know. It's just, like, the beginning of the finale kind of threw me off just because of that little moment. Um, so, I don't know. It's a, it's a small it's a small thing, but, you know, just, like, one of the little things that threw me off in the finale that I think it's so, like, it's it's good. It's a solid, fin like, there's a lot of things I like about the finale, but, it's, yeah, it could have used a little bit more fine-tuning. Just that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, um, yeah, and then uh, I said I was going to follow up on this, like, her, the Fuji face. I just want to pinpoint for anyone who wants to go back and find it. Um, I'm talking specifically about the moment that Henry uh, takes her to her grandma against her will because she's unconscious. And he's like, uh, you know, <laughs> something's going on. And I, like, I, it, you, you need your grandma to tell you, like, how to deal with what you get. Like, you can tell it's, you know, related to the whole like ancestor thing presumably right and so he she is just like she is just mad dogging him like like she shuts the car door and the, her look at him is just like the absolute like if you're looking for like the, what's a fuji face what do you mean bridget go look up that scene you'll know what i'm talking about you will know the fuji face the exactly she was just like i hate you so much for this and gives yeah. zero shits yeah it's so it made me laugh so hard like it was the hardest like, it was the hardest i laughed of the whole series it just like her facial expressions were just amazing throughout but like that in particular just like girl <laughs> oh i laugh every time i think about it anyway uh any other thoughts though questions uh i i think I, I've gotten gone through all my notes here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I think um, I think the only other thing I wanted to say is I'm, I'll made a couple references to different um, articles giving background info about the show. Um, and I'll, I'll drop those in the episode description so you can check them out to do further reading. Um, and like one more shout out I wanted to do regarding the Variety um, interview of Alakwa Cox um that she mentions like um how like 
there was a lot of thought put into the production process as well in terms of like accessibility for her like she was saying how they were able to hire deaf people behind the camera to help her out um she had an asl consultant who was deaf on on set helped me with you know, helped her with the translation of english uh, into asl of her lines um you know she said i told marvel that i like to be able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them instead of going through an interpreter and they actually made it happen and before we started production i said just take asl classes and they listened all the cast and crew go to asl classes two or three times a week on zoom so when I arrived on set, I was greeted with, hello, how are you, and sign. It was the basics, but it was so nice to be able to communicate. It made me feel way more comfortable and welcomed. And like, you know, Aww. I mean, yeah, I thought I was like, that's really nice. And like, I mean, it's not just nice. It's like, it's the, it's the bare minimum, really, right, in terms of accessibility. But like, I think it just like really goes to show like how much like intentionality can go so far. You know, it's just like putting in that time and effort. I mean, it's getting at what, like Maya, the character says to Kingpin, it's like, you didn't even try, right? He learns a few signs here and there, but it's like, you know, you, like you put in the work and like, you know, it actually creates a really beautiful um, community and it really makes someone feel like, you know, it's not just like um, toler tolerated, but like actively belonged and welcomed. Like you have a place here and we want you here and we want you to feel like, you know, you're a part of us and like, yeah, I think that it's just that was just a really lovely thing to read about in terms of the behind the scenes um, for the show. So, yeah. Anyway, I love all the effort that they put into this show. I'm. It is honestly amazing from the cast to the crew, all of it. Just well done, Marvel. Well done to everybody. Yeah, kudos to everybody. Kudos to, I mean, kudos to Lockwood Cox, to the rest of the cast, to Sydney Freeland, um, to the two head writers that I talked about earlier, but also the other, there was many other names I, I didn't name who were working on the show, including Re um, Rebecca Rowan Horace, who did that Echo series I talked about in the comics. Like so much love and so much, so many different talents went into this series. And I just want to shout out to all of them because they're amazing and the show wouldn't exist without them. So yeah. Hey, creatives, writers, and actors, like get your dues. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but yeah, so hmm. Yeah, I think um I think that's I think that's it. I think that's all I wanted to say. So thank you all so much for listening. Um really enjoyed talking about this series. And uh, yeah, I just like I love talking with you guys about Marvel. It's just really nice and it's nice to be able to talk about such a badass character as as Maya. Um, and I hope that we get more of her soon. So, yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's been, I think this is like a very special little show. And I just, I love the fact that it is like a character drama um, that is focused on, you know, this person and her family and her world. And like, it is able to, you know, talk about, you know, all these kind of different um, you know, intersecting issues and identities. And it just, it seems like there was a lot of like, you know, thank you for shouting out like the cast and the crew um, and everyone behind the scenes who, you know, again, art is, is this kind of art is like when it's at its best, it's because there's a lot of different people who showed up and who cared and who, you know, all made something together and all did their best work. And um, I'm, I'm glad that, like other people are appreciating this too and watching it and it's found an audience and um 
you know, also like, I love the fact that this, yeah, this character is just able to be so, you know, nuanced and flawed and struggle with all of this and also, you know, have uh, uh, so much, you know, growth and change. And like, we get to see so many aspects of her life and like, that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's like what you want from any character that you come to, to care about. It's like, because you, you, you know, you truly know them and get to see them and you know i hope we, we get to see a whole lot more and um yeah like more more kudos i mean again i know it's all collaborative but you know more kudos more kudos to alaka cox for like being you know so yeah she she's just she's so charismatic and she's got you know so much range and she really makes this character very unique and special and um yeah i'm glad we got to spend this this time with her and i'm glad i got to spend this time with you guys talking about this series so yeah oh hugs all around <laughs> yeah um well okay well yeah hugs to you guys hugs to all our listeners as well who's uh you know been listening to uh, us gab about the show i think it was it was really fun diving deep into this um and yeah i i'm not sure what's next for us on the podcast we the next uh, marvel thing i think is deadpool in july right um yep. that's right yeah so uh, maybe we'll finally have time to get into like our evergreen ideas um, now that we don't have new Marvel content to discuss. So, um, but yeah, so be on the lookout for that. But uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. And uh, if you want to keep up with us, you can always email us at nerdalertgirlspodcast at gmail.com um, or hit us up on Tumblr at nerdalertgirls.tumblr.com. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's been, it's been, been fun chatting and we will talk to you next time on nerd alert Alert. girls girls (laughs) bye everybody bye